0: to the 289th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. That sounds like that didn't come out right. Anyways, big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Last week I did an off of mind episode about this this really sad and really sucky state of affairs of this character, the beloved character Ben Riley. So oh, yeah, you can hear it. And I, I managed not to get too angry. So you can hear all about that. Um, and sometimes talk about comics, sometimes talk about movies and, and so forth. Extra 30 minutes every day, every, not every no, no, not every day, every week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. All right, so this week we have uh, regular shows, uh, um, nothing new, no new shows, nothing leaving just yet. Some shows will be leaving soon. Uh, movie feature is Scream 6, so uh, what did I think of that? You uh, you have to listen later to see, did I love it, did I not love it? You'll find out. Uh, let's just jump into the news. Speaking of Scream 6, so Jenna Ortega, so Jenna Ortega is kind of like, she's like a hot commodity these days, uh, maybe. I don't know, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Wednesday, and you know she was really good in Scream 5, and you know she's in Scream 6 also, but she's in Talks. To possibly be in Beetlejuice two, they're finally making a sequel after decades. Uh, you know was that wouldn't that come out 80 something, eighty five? I forget. So they're talking about uh, doing a, a Beetlejuice two. Michael Keaton coming back, uh, Tim Burton you know, re- returning, and she would play Lydia Dietz's daughter, so Winona Ryder's daughter. And I think that could be that could be good. As long as they separate you know my only concern and i this is it shouldn't be a concern at all but you know having tim burton and jenna ortega working together again after working on wednesday just you know, make sure this character isn't the same because you know you we i could be totally wrong you would think that this is you know because the way winona ryder's character was you know it's not kind of like goth quiet whatever you know just attitude or chip on a you know type of thing smart smart Alec hopefully to be a little different, but whatever, we'll see. I, I, I like all, everyone involved. I know some people are like, Oh, I don't like Tim Burton. That's just weird. So uh, I look forward to that. We'll have to see, um, if, if, if that happens. And, uh, speaking of Jenna Ortega, um, apparently she was talking about when she was filming Wednesday, she was like making changes to the script. And sometimes she was like trying to be like, not, not really secretive about it. This is kind of crazy. Um, it it worked out, I think, but there was like some things and, and she was like, she was basically very protective of the character, which again is awesome that she's not just there to do a job. It's just, you know, she wants to really portray this character, bring this character to life and everything like that. So I don't think it's necessarily like an ego thing, like that she thinks she's right, but it's kind of a risky thing because I, I think she even described it that she was like almost problematic because she would just go in there and, and in her mind, she's like, Wednesday wouldn't say this. And then when they're recording, she would say something else. And then you know the other people are like, "Wait, are we are we t- t- just giving that a try? Are we doing another take? W- what's going on?" And so there there are some things that I forget, like the examples it was. And, and the, the the couple examples is like, yeah, that would be weirdly weird if she said that or, or you know expressed herself like that. So, but. I don't know. I just don't think it works this way. I, 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 I totally get. You know, you're diving into this character. You know, you know his character in and out. You're doing all that, but I feel like you need to have a discussion on it. You can't just like, okay, cameras rolling. I'm going to change my, add my own lines. And there's one thing. You know, sometimes that's allowed where they they want character. You know, Robert Downey Jr. supposedly is, is you know, ad lib. You can do this, and they can wing it. That's a whole different thing. I, I think I've talked about that when I did Scanner Darkly. So I, if you're listening to Hollywood actors, be careful. <laughs> not that you need my my advice on that. So I don't know. uh, big news, Batman, uh Cape Crusader, so they're doing this animated shows, and now It's really cool, you know, uh, uh, but then it's like, wait, it's not gonna happen. You know, are you kidding like with all these people involved with it? It's like, um, it's actually gonna be on Amazon now. Amazon picked it up. so that that that's I mean, that's great. It's just weird that HBO Max is like, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to carry that, we don't want to run it, and I don't know if if they're just really trying to focus on just carrying, the like the DC, st- whatever, they're not DC Studios, DC whatever they're they're calling themselves, so they just want to focus on their, their core stuff, even though you have stuff like Joker Two, which isn't, I don't know, they decide not to do it, but so Amazon is picking up with two season order. So minimum two season, I'm, I'm sure if it does really well, they're, you know, we're going to want to do more. So I, I, I think that's really, really cool. My only concern, and you, if you know me, you probably know what I'm going to say. I just really hope they don't drop all the episodes at once or just don't drop three episodes. Cause that's the other thing. Um, I was, it was, I, I should mention this earlier. I, I, School Spirit. I think that's the show um, with Peyton List. Is that her name? From Cobra Kai and and uh, Hey Jesse and uh, <laughs> Bunked, <laughs> so she's got this show on Paramount Plus. The trailer looks kind of interesting. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Might, might be a little. I might be a little out of the age demographic that they're they're aiming it towards. But I'm I'm curious. But to watch the show, and I was thinking it's like I'd like to cover the show. I can't do it this week because there's just too much this week. But I may maybe like when some stuff ends because you know we have a couple shows ending, and then they end up dropping three episodes. Because when I when I looked on IMDb, they're like, only one episode's dropping. I'm like, great. And then when I looked on Paramount Plus, they dropped three episodes. I get that you're trying to encourage the binge watchers, get people to talk about it, but it just to me it just seems weird because if someone's like, oh, I really want to watch that show, I gotta subscribe to Paramount Plus, that's like two extra weeks that someone would be hanging on watching it. And I feel like when you know, you you load these shows up right away, people if the majority of people or whoever binge it, then they don't talk about it after that because it's out of the spotlight. You know, I mean, look at Last of Us; people are talking about that every week. If that all the seasons dropped at once, and I had this discussion with like my my daughter and her boyfriend, if all the episodes dropped at once, then you know people are going to be watching all that, and then you got to worry about spoilers and all that. And it's like I don't have time to watch nine episodes at one or 10 episodes or eight, or even six episodes. And, and yeah, that's, that's on you, but it's like, I, sh- I'm not going on this. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Batman Cape Crusader is where I'm going with this, um, this is going to be on Amazon. I don't know if I'm going to talk about school spirits. I'd, I'd love to. I don't think I. I've, it's going to get to the point where I'm going to be too far behind now. because not that three episodes are out. And I don't know if I can watch three episodes like before, next week's recording time i don't know uh, bob Iger is talking about a lot of disney stuff and you know of course people are like yeah yeah because uh, he's he's talking about like with the marvel stuff basically what it kind of comes down to is it's kind of like a, like a quality versus quantity and they're looking at like how much you're spending and everything like that and he's saying it's like you know how much do we really need and for me, it's like I want as much as possible. And but some people don't feel like that. It's you he's, he's he's talking about how like the sequels work. You know, people want that. And he's like, usually the first sequel is good. But he's like, do we need like a, a third or fourth movie, or is it time to you know explore other characters? And the only thing I can think of, you know, if they're they're talking about like how much they're spending, when you have a movie and you know you you're bringing an actor for like the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. With each movie, their salary is probably increasing. It's not like they're making the same amount unless you have some really weird you know, contract. So I guess you could look at that where you know, when you do an Ant-Man 3, it's like, will there be an Ant-Man 4? I would love an Ant-Man 4. But by the time you do Ant-Man 4, you know, Paul Rudd's salary is probably going to be more than he got for Ant-Man 3. Although maybe not because everyone hates the movie. It's the worst thing ever, apparently, which I don't understand that. So I, I guess I can kind of see that versus like, okay, you know, we did three Ant-Man movies. He was in, you know, a couple of other, you know, Avengers movies and all that. Now let, let's do someone else. Let's do, uh, who, who's a, I can't even think. Um, I'm totally drawing a blank of like some random, let's do a squirrel girl movie. Cause we haven't had one, even though there was almost a TV show and we can do, you know, two squirrel girl movies. Then let's do, um. I almost said America Shabbos, can't do that. Let's do uh, Wiccan from Young Avengers. We can do a movie on him. But I, I think when you, like, I, I would love if if Chris Evans was, to, I would love more Captain America movies. I'd even go for more Iron Man movies, even though I'm like, eh. But whatever, we'll see. I don't know. I So maybe we're going to get less Marvel movies? That's not okay. And I just don't understand. I, I really feel like, Some people I don't know why you're complaining about when you look at the movies we used to have, and I don't know, maybe I just need to watch Ant-Man Wasp Quantumania again because I feel like I watched a different movie than other people because I I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. I enjoyed seeing this new world, you know, this new everything, universe, whatever, and just seeing the characters interact and you know, some characters, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer kicking more butt, you know, becoming more fleshed out and, and and I I just I I don't understand why people are are so upset or whatever and you know if if you really don't like it don't go see it and and like I saw another article like Creed 3 um topples Ant-Man at the box office (laughs) it's it's like what this is like the third week of Ant-Man to what maybe was to when was this article posted but and then, as far as the Star Wars, you know, there was a mention that uh, Kevin Feige, Feige's uh, mysterious Star Wars movie has been shelved, along with Patty Jenkins, which that was weird because I thought it was still happening. And uh, I don't really know what they're doing with with Star Wars. You know, they're they're talking about they're talking about still maybe doing stuff with like the Skywalker saga, which cool. But I think it's important, even though it's not what I want. I think it's important to do other stuff, to branch out, to do other stuff. You look at Mandalorian. Mandalorian's successful. It's not part of the Skywalker saga. It may be within that time frame, but it's not, you know, directly related. So I don't know. But yeah, I, I would love to see Ray and Poe and, and Finn. I'd like to see them come back. But I, as long as you can sell me on the other stuff, make it cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. And it just, it's unfortunate, you know, there, there is mention of like how Rogue One, you know, standalone movie did really well. Solo did not do well. And I think Solo didn't do well. I think it was like a sabotage thing. The fans just like, neg- you know, negative, whatever, bombing the reviews, whatever you call that. Uh, just because they weren't happy with whatever Star Wars, Last Jedi, whatever movie came out at the same time. I mean, I, I've been saying I want Solo too. I want another Han Solo movie. Uh, I was skeptical when it came out, and I w- thought it was really good. When, so we'll have to see. I mean, it's been—it feels like it's been so long since we've had a Star Wars movie. You know, we've had some really good Disney Plus shows, and even that, people aren't happy with the Disney Plus shows. It's like, what? What the heck do you want? I just—I don't—I don't know. Um, as far as what I don't want, I don't want any more Snyder cut stuff. But Michael Shannon you know he's coming back playing zod again in the flash which is interesting but he was saying how this is like a different kind of zod it's not the zod that that we're used to and he was a little like he's like wait isn't i'm pretty sure my character's dead he's like what are you talking about because he's he's not totally keeping up with the stuff he said he's not not really like a movie guy or what or something like that but you know they explained it's like oh it's like kind of like multiverse stuff and it's a different version so he's like all right he also kind of hinted that it's he doesn't have like a big role. I think he only spent like two weeks shooting, which you know you could do a lot in two weeks, and then just add all effects or whatever you have to post production. But uh, we'll have to see about that. So that that's fine. Um, I thought he was a fine Zod. I just do not like the the fact that they had Superman kill him. I think that is stupid. Uh, the Batman Part Two with uh robert pattinson starts filming in november looks like so that that'll be cool because uh we we need more of that um constantine too keanu reeves was saying like like oh it's it's not really a sure thing anymore uh which is weird because i thought it was just like in february they're like yeah it's still happening now he's like uh we're trying but we're or, or not quite sure yet so i guess i mean i i would be i was so i'm still shocked that they're even talking about it because I, I feel like the, the fact that they were, or maybe, I mean, maybe it's more possible because there was supposed to be a Constantine show and it feels like that that's why they, they took Constantine out of Legends of Tomorrow and, and Matt Ryan played a totally different character, which was weird. But, I don't know. I mean, I I didn't love the first, I love Keanu Reeves. I didn't love first Constantine. Um, another thing I didn't quite love, but I enjoyed it, a Masters of the Universe revelation I'm I'm a little confused. I tried digging into this. Melissa, Melissa Benoist is going to be voicing Tila. I I think Melissa Benoist is is super cool, um, super nice, and um. But Sarah Michelle Gellar voiced Tila in, in the other uh whatever. It was it was only one season, right? Was the season broken up into two parts? I feel like it's two seasons, but I think it was only one. My question is, why is Sarah Michelle Gellar not doing it? And I, I couldn't find that. I went cause I think deadline, cause I, I read it. where did I read? I read it. Something. I think the original source was deadline and there was no mention as far as why Sarah Michelle Geller. Is it because she's in that wolf pack, whatever show? Maybe she's just not busy. Maybe she's like, yeah, I, I don't really want to, or I can't really commit to time. I don't know, but um, that, that's fine. Um, I, I, yeah. I did finish the rest of the show. I don't think I know if I talked about it on a podcast, but I did finish it all. Maybe I did. Uh, d- Escape from New York, so they're talking about that. So this is that radio silence, that group of creators, you know, writers, whatever. I, I forget their, who exactly is in there. But, you know, they want to make an Escape from New York movie, but they're calling it a requel. So, you know, we, we're getting the idea of a requel was mentioned in Scream 5 last year. It's also mentioned in 6. So they're, they're talking about, you know, they're, they're not looking to, like, remake Uh, escape from New York since it was like such a classic movie, but it's not like a direct sequel. And I think there's going to be like some elements that exist, but it's not. Yeah. So it's, that's fine. I mean, I guess you can kind of leave it. It's, it's weird because, you know, some people kind of like me, it's like, well, is it or not? But I guess you kind of look at like Mad Max Fury Road is like, is that a direct sequel or not? Is that a prequel? Where does that happen? And you just, just don't worry about it, I guess. Diego Luna I apparently is happy that Andor is going to be wrapping up you know it's like dude you're you're making money off of this and I don't know I mean he he's fine in a role and everything I off the top of my head and I I could be just totally blanking I couldn't tell you I couldn't name anything else that he's been in I'm I'm sure he's done other stuff but Maybe it's, I guess, I don't know if it's just a grueling schedule and everything like that. They were talking about that. I think he had to do like voiceovers, callbacks, whatever stuff like even like six weeks before it premiered, you know, editing, whatever. So maybe there's just a lot of work and he's just like, okay, I'm done. I think they're saying it was, was it like an eight year, you know, not journey, but nine years. I don't know. I mean, that's fine. You know, if if you want to do other things i don't know what the commitment is you know maybe he's just can't do other stuff because it's just less time consuming i i don't know but it just it's just to me it's it sounds weird it's like yeah I'm, i'm glad i'm almost done with this thing i just i don't want anything more to do with it that's how it just sounds which maybe that's not the case bruce campbell is says that the animated evil dead movie or animated evil dead series is still happening there's been mentioned now obviously there's like no details or anything like that but the problem is sam raimi's he's kind of a busy guy he's like you know he just did this like kind of popular movie you know dr strange and again some people didn't like that because they're crazy so we'll have to see it's just a bummer that he's not gonna be in new evil dead but you know he just he's just like yeah i'm done playing ash but hopefully in animated he would you know still be there that that would be cool John Brenthal, Brenthal, Bernthal, Brenthal. Bernthal, 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 Bernthal. Uh Apparently, he's coming back as a Punisher in Daredevil: Born Again, which is like, okay, that's that's really cool. Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised. I'm glad. So that that's that's really awesome. But when I first heard that, I was like, is that that true, or is this one of those like rumor things? Because it seems like I forgot who announced it. Was it I don't think it was ComicBook.com someone and uh it just is, is like wait is this is this really happening um but I, I guess it is so okay um suicide squad kill the justice league the video game it's getting delayed again and uh you know they, they want to fix some things and polish some stuff so you know it was, it was supposed to come out i think may 26th and i you know i, I keep saying you know it's better i'd rather something be delayed then release and be, like, really bad. You know, so, yeah, delay it. But then I I don't think it has anything to do with it. But, you know, some people, uh, apparently some reactions to some things, you know, people didn't like and whatever. But we'll see. Um, I don't think I'll be able to play that. You know, I, I actually, I don't even know if, it, if I'll be able to. Is it coming out on PlayStation 4? Because I still don't have a 5. And I don't know if I ever will get one. But um, gamers, hopefully you're looking forward to that. Okay, hey, then uh, the last bit of news. Uh, Mark Guggenheim is—I <laughs> don't know how to what, to what to think of this, and I, I don't know if there's more to it. You know, I, I've I read this like summarized uh, at a few few different places, and basically, you know, so Mark Guggenheim, he's, you know, he's a great writer. Uh, you know, he's, he's done good comics and t- TV shows, and you know, he's done a lot with with the CW stuff. You know, love it or hate it, you know, the shows were successful. You know, they, they lasted a long time. Basically, he he was upset over not being called into D.C. He feels like that his work has been unappreciated with, you know, the new regime taking over. And, you know, he, he was going on about how, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths, so that he put so much into it. And apparently he even put up, like, $10,000 out of pocket to make it happen. And I'm trying to think, like like, what what did I take away from Prices on Infinite Earths, I mean, on, on the CW? But he's he's saying that he didn't necessarily, you know, he wasn't, like, expecting a job or anything. Because at first I, I thought he was, like, hoping to get, like, a job in a writer's room. But I'm I'm looking at it as, like, I feel like his, what he would want to get paid would be more than what they might pay the regular, because, I mean, who who's in the writer's room? Yeah, you want to get good writers, but I feel like when you – I feel like it. you got a bunch of lower tier writers, you know, newer, younger writers is what I'm trying to say, you know, that you could pay and then collaborate, whatever, you know. But he's, he's saying that he wasn't even necessarily looking for a job, that, you know, he was just looking for a meeting, just like like a thanks or whatever. And which is, I don't know, kind of weird. I, I totally get, you know, you want to be appreciated, but he feels like like he wasted his time. That, you know he did all this stuff because he you know, he's saying that all the all of the years that he put in it hasn't really led to other job offers but also I I mean I don't know how you how you take that you know yeah he's successful with all that but the shows are I mean I don't know is, is he still involved with who's involved with the flash you know is, is it Greg berlanti is, is he still involved with is at all I don't know but it's not like the shows are necessarily, you know, as far as people are kind of aware, it's like the CW shows are still happening, even though they're all kind of like, you know, dwindling, phasing out. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, and is that how it goes? It's like, hey, do you want to do this? Or don't you have to like apply to different things or try to pitch different? I, I, I just, I don't, it seems really weird that he's just up to that. But I, I get it. You know, you want to be appreciated for your work. But the, also the fact that he says it's a waste of time. But what does that mean for all the fans that, actually did watch the shows and enjoy them. Are you basically saying that that was a waste of time, that our, our gratitude isn't enough? I don't know. <laughs> what I do know, I, I think that's going to be it for the news this week. With comic books at Image, we had Almighty Number 2. So this is by Edward LaRoche. Uh, he, he does the, the art, uh, or he writes it and, and and does art. So this is, um, I don't even know how to describe this. So this is this woman like, biker, badass woman, she goes to, to save this girl who was kidnapped by this, you know, stupid bunch of gang, you know, motorcycle gang dudes or something like that. And, you know, she's, it's just kind of like a survival thing. And it's like this weird, well, not necessarily weird, but it's, it's kind of like a, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, there's different things her eyes are like glowing. So like, what's that about? And, you know, she, it, she kind of mentions it in this, this issue, but it's like, basically they're, they're trying to work their way back. Cause you know, she was hired to find out if this girl was still alive or, you know, that are lives, you know, the, the family, or whoever was interested. So it, it's kind of cool. You know, we get to see more of her in action and, you know, these, these guys are trying to figure out what's going on. Cause she had, she dealt with some of the guys, you know, when she had to free the, the girl so it's it's interesting story. I, I don't know how I, I I'm I am interested. I don't know where this is gonna go and I don't know how long of a story this could go. I guess the series, you know, it's it just would focus on a story and you can go on and, and what's you know, she this LaRoche, she can um, take on not for LaRoche, Roche, La Roche's writer, fail, you know, she could do something else. You know, what else is she up to and, and you know, or we can find out more of her past and so I'm 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 definitely intrigued with this. Um, but yeah, so it, it's 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 cool. Um, I wasn't really sure when it, when it first came out. I was like, I'll try it, but you know, reading the second issue, I'm I'm definitely you know uh, hooked onto this. Uh, there's also Arc, which is a one shot. This is by my Matt Hawkins, uh, Paul Feist, Feinstein, um, and uh, Attilo Rojo does the art along with our uh, Ryan Caddy. Anyways, uh, I was gonna read this. I wasn't really sure. It's a one shot. And maybe I, sh- I should do it, but uh, it's illegal poaching is a mil- is a billion dollar industry. Black market trade violently interwoven with the bloody work of warlords and international traffickers. South African industrial heir Noah Ehran has dedicated himself to battling this evil on two fronts in two separate lives. By day, he's an environmental lobbyist and aggressive corporate reformer, but by night, Noah leads Ark, the animal rights collective, in an armed crusade against the animal against the criminal empire is responsible. I applaud, I, I 100% applaud the, the point of this. You know, let's let's bring some attention to this. And it's a horrible thing. I mean, I am dead set against it. But I, I started reading it and just seeing, you know, there's you got a bunch of dead animals, you know, on there. And I was just, I was just like, I, I can't read this right now. Um, so maybe I have to check it out. But it's... It's definitely it's it's an important thing, and I I'm sure you know some people are, would just dismiss it. You know, it's like oh, bleeding hearts this or that, but it's like no, this is not a cool thing, and I I just don't understand a poaching thing. So so no, thank you. Let's let's not do that. Blood Tree number two, I am I am definitely uh, intrigued on in this this series. So Blood Tree, it this is a the series by Peter Tomasi, and we have this. Uh, I guess you say he's a serial killer, but what he's doing is he's kind of putting his victim sort of on display with wings. Because, and so I mentioned with the first issue, when the first body, you know, there's this angel, and I'm just like, is this like a literal angel that fell? Is this a comic book world where angels exist or angel like beings exist? But it's like, no, they're just regular people with like wings you know, meticulously crafted and sewn onto him. So it's like, what what is going on? So it, the story focuses around this detective and his partner. You know, this detective has like a wife and kids and he's obviously, you know, he's he's a great cop and, you know, he wants to stop, you know, what, what is going on? You know, the, And so you can kind of see like the, the, the strain on, on the, the family life and everything. And, you know, we, we see more of, of this killer, you know, in action. You know, so it's just... It's it's weird, but it's 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 pretty cool. Okay, then there was Rogue Sun 11. I actually didn't read this. I, I started reading it. It starts off, you know, a lot of the pages are flipped. It, it's it's basically there's a lot of like kind of like two-page spreads to make the 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 images bigger type of thing. But I was just like, I don't, I don't want to read this because you know when I try reading my iPad, whatever, and then you know just trying to zoom in and everything, and and with with some of the pages, the way it was scrolling, I'm like, wait, do where where do I start on the left, like you normal, or do I go you know from the right to the left? It's, so I I, I like the series, but the the last few last couple issues at least, you know, I, I've been a little little hesitant or you know, not not as gung ho. And I I think part of the thing is it's it's kind of a I don't know, it's 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 a double edged blade, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I like so the the story is this kid you know, I, I mention this each time. This kid his uh you know, father abandoned him when he was young, father dies, he turns out his dad was a superhero. And then, to make things kind of worse for him, he finds out that his dad, that who left him and his mom, actually has another family. And they were living in this big mansion. So it's like, wait, why weren't we good enough for you? But then you go out and you have this other family, you have a son and a daughter and, and you know his new wife. But he, so uh, on top of that, he inherits the superpower. And at first he's like, I don't want anything to do with, with, with this guy, but you know he's got this power. And the thing is, like, the kid, because he had a rough life and everything like that, of course, He's he's kind of a punk, and you know he's he's not necessarily a bad kid, but he doesn't necessarily uh, make smart choices, and you know he he's he can be kind of mean, kind of a bully. But so with with that, you have this hero who is is not necessarily a, a boy scout. So you know that that makes things a little intriguing. You know, separates it from just everything else that you see that where like the hero is always good he's so he's not bad but you know he's he, yeah, he's gonna kind of do things what he what he wants so it's it's kind of an interesting twist on just like the, the your he's not your your typical superhero and I I think that's 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 a good thing okay then there is a uh, Stoneheart so this is by Emma Kubert and <laughs> long pause Uh, it's it's old-timey stuff and by old-timey I mean like it's like adventures and swords and you know axes and um, I just okay so what what it is so it's Emma Cooper the artist behind Frank Miller presents Frank Miller's Pandora and Image Comics Inkblot and Radiant Pink introduces her whimsical twisted tale Stoneheart and a new ongoing action-adventure fantasy series which is not my cup of tea And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Bubbly and headstrong, Shade Whisper, so Shade, S-H-A-Y-D-E, has been inexplicably exiled from her magical guild and relocated, left only with vague memories and romanticized hope. But when she hears a sinister voice in her head that awakens a power beyond her comprehension, she'll traverse her past and present to unravel her prestigious place within the mystical land of a see it, it I mean it sounds very intriguing I just have a hard time diving into magical mystical old-timey and again old-timey you know what I mean so um check it it, 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 you, it could be something you want and then uh there was t- uh I think that was it at, at image yeah uh Stoneheart yeah that was it at, at image um Boom Studios. Boom Studios didn't have a lot. I didn't read anything there and see. Um, Clear, number one, came out at Dark Horse. I read that when it was available digitally. I actually realized I never... It's a three-issue series. So Clear... Um, I really like the first issue, so I, I highly recommend that. So if you go to comics or pick up Clear, it's Scott Snyder and Francis Manipole. I mean, I shouldn't have to say anymore. But, I mean, Francis Manipole's art and colors is just amazing. But there's, there's definitely an interesting... Uh, world, you know, it's new, new world, new comic book series. You know, it's, it's, you see this world set up, and the, the way it ends, it's just like, what? So, you should definitely check that out. Even though I, I know I'm a hypocrite saying that, but because it was it was on Comicsology, and I have some issues trying to read things on Comicsology, and as re- whatever, so I read the first issue, and um, I, I realized I haven't read issue two or three, so I, I need to, to fix that. So, it is now available physically. And digitally, so you you can check that out if you want. Um, I didn't read anything at IDW either. At DC, we had *Adventures of Superman* John Kent uh, issue one. So, you may have heard that this is uh, setting things up to for for Jonathan Kent to go to the Injustice World, and. um, I'm I'm okay with that, I guess. I mean, just because it's Tom Taylor writing this, so I you know, I I have faith in what, what whatever he has planned. But I don't know. I, I still really wish that John Kent was was a kid. That you know, he was little and the the whole Super Son things. I I miss that like all the time. But we have John Kent and it's setting things up. So it's like countdown to injustice. So he's, he's not there yet, but what is going on is Ultraman, which I think he is such a dork. He's basically going around the multiverse and like killing Superman's, you know, from a, on a different earths and, you know, kind of like taking over the world or just destroying it or whatever. So it's like, I guess he has absolutely nothing better to do. He's doing this. So, so uh, president Superman uh, he comes to Earth, you know, he actually helps out uh, and, and he meets John. And uh, Mr. Terrific, you know, talks to him because, you know, he knows him, actually knows him. And uh, Red Tornado, which is Lois from uh, Earth 2, I believe. So they basically want John to go with them and help they superman's off planet doing something so they, they kind of waited till he was around because they know that he'd want to do it but if he he goes he could be at risk because you know ultraman would would you know just go whatever try to kill him so they they want john because you know john has some knowledge and it, w- it would be like unexpected type of thing and everything like that so that that's the setup here and um okay we'll we'll, we'll see uh, I I mean i I'm, I'm I'll I'll read it. I'm, yeah, I just I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not I'm not super duper excited, but I'm I'm sure it'll be good. Okay, then what was weird? There was a Flash One Minute War. Start the clock, which is collecting the 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 One Minute War issues, but it doesn't have Flash Seven Ninety Three. <laughs> so like if if you've been like so behind in Flash, you get because Seven Ninety Four comes out came out this week. So you'd get this collected story, but then there's a, a issue gap, which is weird that they did that. So, oh, I'm just, I don't know where they're going with, with this. I, I feel like this is, how many parts has this been? Because it feels like this has been going on for the longest time. And if people are enjoying it, again, I think that is awesome. That's great. You know, I'm just, I'm not digging it so much. Um, the, the cover, like father, like daughter. So just Iray, which I, I that name, I don't Understand? It. I don't even know if I'm saying her name right. So Wally's daughter, you know, she's on a cover. She's got this new costume. I don't think she can. I don't know if she has that cover in the, in the comic so much. But I'm just, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's great that Wally has his, his kids and he's with Linda. But I don't know. I just, it's just not. Uh, the, the kid superhero thing is, is not what I, I'm eager for. And what's weird here is they're claiming spoiler that Iris is dead. You know, she got killed early on in this, and Barry's just like, you know, tr- just trying to trying to continue being a hero and help out. But this is his his anchor, his lightning rod, or whatever. So we're dealing with that, and then <laughs> it, it it looks like wait, um, Wally just died. <laughs> It's, it's not possible, right? There's no way they're going to kill Iris. And there's no way they're going to kill Iris and Wally. Oh, we'll see. Um, then there's Poison Ivy issue 10. Uh, this is okay. Uh, you know, so Iris is. Or Iris. Poison Ivy, you know, she's in Seattle. She has this roommate. Uh, you know, Poison Ivy wants to go to Gotham. And it's just weird. Uh, so, but then they. Her roommate convinced her to go to this like retreat thing, and you know, poison ivy, it's like fine or whatever. But then they go to this party, and and then there's like some some sort of drugs. They it, it gets very like euphoric, and and they they end up hooking up. I guess I don't know if they it this didn't seem like they fully hooked up, but I guess they did. And poison ivy is like, well, I'm sure Harley would understand, and you know whatever. And and then it, it has to do with there's like drugs and or like plant. Mushrooms or something involved with it. So this person in charge of this retreat, you know, she decided to to drug them. And like so, some of the other people are like, "Wait, that's not okay." Because you know, they all you know had their inhibitions let loose or whatever. And and I I guess yeah, that's not okay because it's one thing if if you choose to do it and you're like, okay, whatever, anything goes. Let's let's dive in. You know, whatever happens in Vegas, you know. But they were just unaware, and all of a sudden there's like. Yeah, so that that would be a problem. Monkey Prince issue twelve. This is uh, the final issue of the mini series, and you know it kind of wraps things up. It you know concludes the story, and um, we get answers. I, I think we have all the answers that we we need that we would want for like who who the heck is Monkey Prince? Where did he come from? What's his, his backstory? And um, I, I I enjoyed the, this this series. You know, it's it was a re- really good, really interesting. Uh, sometimes it's it's hard for me to care about new characters because they're new characters. You know they don't have the history, and it's like, why do I want to read these adventures? And 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 yeah, I'm gonna be totally honest. And be, you know, because of Bernard Chang's involvement, that that was the, the main reason I read it. But it, it was re- really a really good character and uh you know i i liked seeing just how he worked i mean he's it's such a weird not necessarily weird but just a different character so you know he definitely has that going for himself that he's not just like a carbon copy of you know all the other new heroes that you that just pop up or whatever and i i loved the use of supergirl here you know in in the last few issues so i i because i feel like she's just so underused and it just it just fit you know it it, it worked out so I, I like that there's that sort of connection there and everything because you know we had like batman and, and damien in, in the first issue or whatever i think it was the first issue that felt like okay this is just like your gratuitous cameo awesome you know i have nothing no problem with that but having supergirl in here yeah that could be like a cameo you know gratuitous cameos you know guest star or whatever but i i, I liked how it all played out so i i enjoyed that uh batman and the joker deadly duo um this this was, this was uh, okay. Uh, whatever, um, I, I feel like this this is just just keeps keeps going on. So it's like, where's where this going to go? Um, then there is Batman, one thirty three. Uh, it's, so Batman one thirty three. It, I'm looking at this when I opened this up on the app. It's, it was like towards the end but I'm like I don't remember reading any of this and then at first I'm like did I not finish it so I think what happens I started it because when I'm looking at the first few pages so yeah I remember reading those but I don't know if I, <laughs> this is going to sound weird maybe I don't know if I was just reading it like end of a long day and then I was like falling asleep because that, that's happened sometimes but the fact that pages have flipped because i i need to read this because i'm looking at this i was like wait i didn't read this um you know batman isn't this is a the bat hyphen man of gotham um you know this is chip zdarsky and mike hawthorne you're doing the pencils uh batman he's he's in this other universe basically and you know he's just you know in in this world Bruce Wayne is dead and, you know, he's trying to, you know, figure things out and everything. Everything's kind of like flipped upside down and everything like that. Uh, so it, 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 there's yeah some weird, weird things going on here. But, but it's weird because it turns out I, I never, I never finished reading it. So, um, yeah, sorry. I, I can't read, t- say much more about that. Then there's a, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. I, I I don't know where this is going this is issue six you know I'm I, I guess I, i'm I'm not really sure what what's happening here because you know we, we have the joker and then there's this other one like who who's the real joker is this other person that we've been seeing is the joker really in la or is the joker we're seeing you know is he just a a fake but why does he think he's a joker you know because there's just weird things going on so I'm not really sure where it's going and and what what the answer is and then um, we get this uh, backup, and, and this is these backups. I, I I love the backups more than the main story, which is, is kind of a bad thing. The the backup stories are so weird. So you know Matthew Rosenberg, you know writes these as well. Um, the, the the other ones before were just so I don't even know. Um, but with with this one, so th- this issue is actually uh, Ryan Caddy co writes it with with Matthew Rosenberg, but. Basically what happens is this Joker dude comes up but his name is Ralph. He goes to um his his brother's his his twin brother or something like that is is killed. Or no, he finds out that his brother was killed. The Joker was killed. Or, or it's like some weird. It's like wait, is this really what <laughs> it's it's so weird. Oh, I I can't explain anymore but yeah, so you should definitely be re- 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 reading that. Uh, at Marvel, oh, man, we have Amazing Spider-Man 21. We're finally going to get some answers as far as what the heck happened. So when this volume started, so 20, 20 issues, 21 issues ago. Uh, okay, my, first of all, my, my big thing is they're saying that I think it's like a year and a half had passed. You cannot age characters a year and a half within a matter of time. You're you're putting you know, when we're looking at sixty is it sixty years? Is it no, it's more than sixty years. However many years since Spider-Man's been been around, you know, you got the sliding time scale. You can't put a fixed time. So like the bad thing is like when a character is pregnant, they should be pregnant for like a decade or five years. You know, it, it, they can't have a kid in nine months because I mean, unless you're saying, okay, maybe these issues are nine months, but then the next, you know, five issues could be ten years or, you know, you get what I'm saying. Maybe not ten years, but (laughs) Um, next five issues could be like one day. That's what I meant. So anyways, aside from from that, my concern with time and and aging the characters too much, you know, because how long ago was was high school and and everything? And is Peter still in his late 20s? Is he in his 30s? I don't even know. Whatever but when this series started cuz or actually the, the issue before which i don't remember if it was 590 or whatever issue it was peter and mary jane are going to move in you know they they they've they've been together for a while they're like let's let's do this let's take the plunge let's let's take the next step and then when we get to this new volume issue 1 something happened peter did something atrocious he burned all his bushes all his bridges not bushes maybe burned some bushes too Everyone's mad at him. You know, Avengers are mad at him. Uh, the Fantastic, Four, you know, all the heroes are mad. The, the city hates him. Peter Parker has like all this incredible like debt that he he's amassed. Everyone's just angry and, and stuff like that. And on top of that, so he and Mary Jane are no longer together. They're not moving in together. They haven't moved in together. But now she's a mother. She's with this dude Paul. And, and at first, I, th- I think, I can't remember if it was this issue where they're actually, I don't know if they're married or not, but the fact that there's these two kids and they call her mother, I still, I, this, is, this is my main thing. It's like, what the, where the heck does that come from? Because when it first started, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was just six months had had passed. So how does she get involved with this guy and get in such a serious state where his, because if they're his kids... And then they're calling her mom already that that quickly. But that is the, the biggest weird thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around. And uh, so now we're starting to see, like, what happened, like, backing up and, you know, the, the, how things started to, I guess, crumble or explode, you know. So uh, I, I don't know. I and mean, it's, yeah, I just, I, I don't, and I don't know how I feel about Peter and Black Hat, or Felicia, or Peter and Mary Jane. You know, I, I feel like I, I love seeing Spider-Man and Black Hat. You know, I, I think there, there are some cool things you can do there, like the, the last story arc we had, last couple issues, whatever. But you know, I feel like Peter should be with Mary Jane. Yeah, that's who he's meant to be. And and the idea of her being with this Paul dude—it's like who, who the heck is this guy? Okay. Then there was a Avengers 66. I'm I'm shocked that this is at issue 66. And I'm also shocked that I feel like it's been like 66 issues of this multiversal Masters of Evil. It is this, this story, Mephisto, uh, it is still going on and I just don't care. What I can't stand Mephisto. And the fact that you got this battle, whatever, going on across the time and cross dimensions and you have all these different versions of characters from different multiverse, universe, whatever, I just don't care. I feel like this is, you know, just let's let's make up all these different versions of Captain America, different versions of Iron Man, different versions of this. And I just like, I don't care about that. I don't want to see that. It, you know, it used to be where it's like you, you'd see a different version. It's like, oh, that's cool. You, know, you can see that. But now it's just between this and like the Spider-Verse stuff, I just, I I don't care. And uh, that's one thing I had to mention in the news. But the Marvel sent out a press release about, I forget what issue it is a uh, end end of the Spider Verse or whatever where there's a new character being introduced and like the, it's literal like like a comic or it's just like a blank image. It says spoilers, so that is is the image that they go with. And um, so to me, it just feels like let's try to make these different versions of characters. So we can get like make another Spider Gwen. You know, we're we're trying to create another character, which is just a a variation of existing characters. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I love absolutely hundred percent love Gwen Stace or Spider Gwen, but I feel like that, that they're just trying to do all these versions, maybe in the hopes that something you know sticks when they throw it against the wall. So I just, and I just I just hate Mephisto, and I'm just I'm just not enjoying this. But that's just me. So maybe you're enjoying it. Bloodline, daughter of Blade, uh, second issue. I, I was a little first, uh, a little confused at first when I'm reading this because I I forgot who, who what Blade's daughter's name was. So there's these two girls, and at first I kind of had it switched. I thought the one girl that was kind of attacking the other one. I was like, I thought that was Blade's daughter, but it was the other way around. So you know, Blade or Blade's daughter, she's trying to you know figure out who she is, what she is, and stuff like that. And Brielle, uh, is she is, it her, is that her name? And uh, she makes you know, this new friend who's actually like a vampire hunter type of thing. And so you know, there's a little tension, but then they they kind of talk things out, and um, so it looks like things are, are going well. But then you know, of course, you got to throw in a, the big monkey wrench at the end of the issue to leave the cliffhanger and all that. So we'll see. Uh, then there's Fantastic Four, um, issue five. We found out that the, the, there was a, an evasion attack from the Negative Zone, everything like that, and you know the Fantastic Four is trying to stop things. So Reed makes a decision. He's like, "Well, I I have to. In order to stop this, I have to send the Baxter Building." out of our time so he sends it a year into the future and so that means anyone inside is is going up a year in the future now for them it's going to be like like instantaneous like no time passes but the interesting thing is like if if your spouse worked in the Baxter building or if someone's parent did they're literally gone for a year So there could be some kids at home where, like, their parents aren't there and and there's no way to to get them. And then the the kids are going to age a year so the parents are missing out or the family members are missing out. Uh, The thing in uh, Alicia's adopted kids, the the scroll and the the decree, they were in there along with Franklin and Valeria. So a lot of people are angry. And then this is where it gets to the point where it's – it's ridiculously angry, they're angry at him. Because Fantastic Four are, they're going to Aunt Petunia's, the, the Ben's aunts, and then there's like this big traffic jam, what's going on? So then it turns out this Nick Scratch dude, which, whatever, and his Salem Seven, they they want to take on the Fantastic Four. But they, they There's a fight, whatever, and they, they chase them off. And then, the the people in the traffic, you're like, oh yeah, this traffic's all your fault. Get out of here! You, uh, it's, it's like that's just so stupid. It's like they've saved the world so many times, and you're just, I, I I hate this like forced anger. It's just it it just doesn't work. But it turns out that during your battle, because it seemed like like oh they you know chased him off kind of quickly, but Nick Scratch kind of got did get the upper hand on them and cause them some, some problems. In it. So, okay, whatever. Then there was uh, Mary Jane and black cat. So this is issue four. I love the idea of these two together. I, I mean, I, I think there's just the way, uh, uh Jed McKay writes them. I mean, it's, it's just so much fun. And what I don't like is the fact that they're in limbo. And it, this, this is still kind of like a dark web, Continuation, um, but th- that's that's fine, and uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting to to see them because you know Felicia's like hesitant, you know she's like, how can I tell tell Mary Jane that I'm dating her ex? You know, I, is that going to be weird or anything? But it, I don't know. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be weird because you know if if Mary Jane is, I, again, I I I don't know if she's married or not. I think she is. I'm not sure. whatever, she's with this dude Paul and the kids, why why would she care about Peter? You know, he could do whatever he wants. It's not like, she can be happy and he can't, so. Then there's uh, Moon Knight 21, and uh, um, what's her name? His, uh, like, his uh, assistant, or whatever, who was bit by a vampire. She, like, gets a, soldier, is his name Soldier? They, like, go out uh, with some friends, and then uh, they kind of come across like this it's a bad guy, bad guy scheme type of thing, and that you know so it's like that that's gonna be a problem. It's like there's definitely like some like mind control stuff involved, sort of whatever. And um, so it's, it's just gonna be another problem for Moon Knight to to try to deal with. So we have that. So it, it was it was it was good. Um, New Mutants, Lethal Legion. Um, I just realized I didn't read this. I think I was hesitant about reading this. And I, I put it off and I was going to come back, but I didn't. Um, this is the new New Mutants with all the classic thrills. Best-selling, multiple-award-winning, generally bedazzle, bedazzling writer, Charlie Jane Anders, launches a fresh take on the beloved team with rising star Enid Balaam behind the lus- lustrous pencils. The shadow king, ugh, you men, eh, demon bear ugh, themselves and the new mutants have faced some of the most cunning minds in the marvel universe and survived but when someone starts building a new lethal legion will Krokoa's youngest class finally be outmatched featuring fan favorites like wolfsbane and karma along with newcomers like escapade this is a series you can't miss everything leads to the fall of x don't sleep on a start i just that doesn't get me super excited because i i You know, this is a the the situation where you have like these new characters, and I don't care about them because they're new. I'm not attached to them, so uh, I don't know. Um, Nightcrawlers, Nightcrawlers plural two came out. I didn't read this because this is one of those uh, sins of sinister book, and I have zero interest in that. Someone tell me if if they're good. If you're reading that, because I just can't bring myself to it. Then there's a predator, predator number one. I didn't read this one, but it's by Ed Brisson. So I'm assuming it's going to be good. Um, there's just, I don't know what it is, but there's something about Predator in comics. It, 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 it's something about the colors don't always work for me. And, and it's, it's just like a weird thing. I don't know. I can't really explain it. Scarlet Witch issue three. We have Scarlet Witch and, and Polaris here, so it's, it's a nice team up. I mean, I think it's really cool seeing the, the two together. What's weird is when they meet up with Polaris, you know, then there's Darcy, the lady that works with with Wanda at her bookstore. She's just being, like, overly sassy or whatever to, to Polaris because, you know, there's, like, necklace stone thing that she, they, I guess they kind of wanted her to check out, and she's just give, like almost like giving her attitude I'm like dude you don't even know who what are you doing so that was just kind of weird um, but but it it was nice to see Wanda and Lorna. oh and the other thing, because like <laughs> Wanda's calling her like oh Polaris it's good to see you <laughs> it's like what did she say hey, Lorna It's like it's weird that she's using her like her her code name but then like towards the end then she does say Lorna so it's like I, I don't know what that was about. But uh, as far as like the the mission that, that, that they go on it was fine. I just loved seeing them together. Um, then there's a uh, Silver Surfer Ghostlight. Uh I don't I don't know this this I'm kind of struggling to to read this. So we have there's this dude who like disappeared years ago and uh his family is like, they decide to move into his house and everything like that. There's these kids. They find that he had a secret lab. They go there and then it turns out that he was actually kind of there, like frozen, like in some whatever, you know, state. And Silver Surfer c- comes back. He actually knows him and he's like, what are you doing with, you know, my friend? And so, yeah, so now this guy's back. But I'm just, this is a situation where, and I, I think, there's a reference to like a silver surfer comics from the 60 with this guy. So it's not like they're just making him up, but I'm just it, the idea of delving into this character, this character that I don't know, you know, how am I going to get invested in that? That's just the hard thing for me. Then there's star Wars, uh, sana Starros issue two. This, this was Okay. Uh, I don't have a huge attachment to Sana because, you know, I, whatever, however many issues or appearances she put in with Dr. Afra, I, I don't know about that. But yeah, this is about her, her, her family. And, you know, it turns out like her, I think it was her sister, was actually married to an Imperial and she's pregnant. And yeah, so I don't know. Then there's X23 Deadly Regenesis, issue one. So this is uh, this. So when I'm reading, the, uh, okay, let's see what this says. Assassin or X-Men: The Deadly Days of X-23. Laura Kinney, A.K.A. X-23, was cloned from Logan and trained by the facility to be a deadly assassin. Even as she tries to put that life behind her, forces will try to drag her back, and she'll fight them tooth and claw. Beset by new enemies as well as old favorites. <laughs> no. And set, okay, oh, here's the thing. And set during X-23's days as a member of X-Men and X-Force when she walked away from the island of Utopia to find where she truly belongs. Join us for an all-new story in the fan-favorite saga of Lorna Laura Kinney. Because at first I'm like, this isn't in continuity, you know. This this is weird how they're referring to certain things, and I, I think when I when they're, they're talking about like the utopia thing, it's like okay, utopia and Kra- Krakoa are two different things. Because I was like, wait, this isn't making sense, because you know she is X twenty three, she's not Wolverine here, and uh, so it was good. I I love seeing I just I don't know what it is about X twenty three. I just really really love the character, and you know, seeing her in action is, is cool, but then. Uh, the old, old supposed favorite enemies, Kim- Kimura. Uh, I don't like her, but there's going to be some some problems for Laura. And then uh, X-Men issue 20. This is continuing the, the Brood story. and it was, It's weird because, you know, we, we we're seeing the Brood in, in Captain Marvel. And what's, what makes it weird is because Brew, who was in Wolverine and the X-Men, he's supposedly like the the brood king and he's supposedly controlling all the the brood like when the hive mind state but then it's like if he's controlling them why are they attacking rogue and then fighting captain marvel and and all them and so then they uh gene and oh who came went, went with them they went to talk to brew and and uh He's he's like no that they can't do that it's like I'm in constant contact with them or whatever, so basically, it's not, there's something up uh, that he's not as in, in control as he thought, and uh, with that, that I guess I I thought there was gonna be more but that's that's gonna be comics for the week. Okay, with Servant, season four, episode eight, my goodness, Uh, Tunnels. (laughs) Uh, It starts off news about the loss of power in Philadelphia. There's a huge storm. Leanne's sitting in the attic. She's, like, watching news on on a tablet. There's, like, flash flood warning, extreme weather downtown, you know, like, don't drive and blah, blah, blah. It's like that. Storm drains can barely keep up. Then, you know, the camera pans out rats are swarming out of sewers and everything. She gets to leave. Uh, you know get up, up out of the attic Then she steps in a puddle and she like looks up and the skylight's leaking and you know as, as she looks up a drop hits her in the eye so she, it seems like that that kind of annoyed her but the news is on downstairs too julian has it on and like in the background but he's he's reading about loss of speech and stress like on a like web md type site or something like that leanne comes in and asks what he's reading and he you know, it gets a little, like, uh, and then he's like, oh, I, I just, you know me. I was like, I like to read. And she says, like, oh, psychiatric disorder. She's like, are you afraid you're losing your mind? And then, then she kind of, like, straddles him on the couch or whatever like that. And then there's, like, thunderlight. And he's like, wait, you like, counts. And it's, like, one, two, three. He's like, that means the epicenter is, like, three miles away. And she's like, does that scare you? He's like, of course not. And she's like, well, you're obviously scared of something. He's like, well, uh, you know, maybe on a micro level. I'm, I'm a little scared of extreme weather events. And he's like, but every storm is a storm of the centuries. That's how they they keep us watching. And he tells her that, you know, she probably shouldn't wait up. You know, he had a, a poop load of coffee this afternoon. And she's like, okay. And she just like walks out. Dorothy's lying in bed watching TV also. To do to and, and the news or weather guy. he's like, this could really be the storm of the century. It's just like Julian said. And then Sean comes in, like, you know, wheeling Jericho's crib and he whispers, like, shut that off. And then, uh, Jericho starts crying. He wakes up, and then Dorothy's like, "She's like, sometimes if you don't make eye contact, he'll go back to sleep." It's like, "Okay, Mother dear, here, folks." It's like, real, real nice. Don't come for your kid. Just, just ignore it. She asks, "She's like, why'd you bring the crib in?" He's like, "He's he's safe in here." He's like, uh, "I mean, if the storm wakes him up, he'll he'll feel better if he's with us." So she asked, she's like, have you checked all the windows and put it, the big towel by the back door because of weather stripping leaks, you know, in the kitchen. He's like, ah, I did that. I did the big towel. And then, you know, she starts reclining her bed. Cause there's like a, you know, separate beds now side by side. Cause she's in her like hospital type bed. And she, she's like, I don't even want to think about the basement. So Leanne's in the kitchen and, uh, that blonde girl, uh, I think her name is Snake. I don't remember. You know, one of the girls, one of the people living in in the, the park. She knocks on the back door. She's like, "We can't stay in the park anymore." She's like, what, "What? You know, what do you want us to do?" Leanne's like, "If the storm doesn't want you here, then you should go." She's, but then the girls like, "But we we can't leave you here all alone. It's not safe." And Leanne's like, "Do you trust me?" With my whole heart. And Leanne's like, "Then go. Take the others and be my voice in the world." So the, the the girl kind of like kisses her hand or something like that, and she like leaves. You know, Leanne looks out the window and she sees them like gathering their stuff. It's like super windy and everything. Sean goes down into the other room, to the other apartment, and he meets Julian. He, he's like, Oh, sorry, I'm late. I was like, I had to wait for Dorothy to fall asleep. June is like, Are you sure he can get in the other end? And Sean's like, He, he said we just have to get her in there. And he's then Julian's like, And he, he's just going to talk to her, right? Take her somewhere and deprogram her. Sean's like, absolutely. It'll be good for her. You're going to have to you're bring her down here, though. She trusts you. And Julian's like, no way. She trusts you more than she trusts me. You're like a father figure. Sean's like, but she knows I've been trying to get rid of her. And, you know, what am I going to say? Hey, I want to see you in the basement at 2 a.m. Besides, if you do it, you can make it a sex thing. And Julian's like, wow. He's like, just when I thought you couldn't make this any more disgusting or morally abhorrent. And he's like, yeah, you're right. We should just, just grab her, drag her down, you know, four gosh darn flights of stairs. She's a fudged up crazy person who's been stalking your sister half her life. Jill is like, fine. He's like, I'll get her down. Dorothy's w- woken by a noise and she's like, she knows Sean's gone and she gets like, she gets up, she, which I still understand. The doctors like, you're not going to walk. And, and she's like practically healed, you I know, mean, she's still in pain and, and not super fast, but she gets like a, like a, a rolling, like a walker. She goes, uh, Cause you know, she keeps hearing this banging. She goes to Jericho's room and the, the windows open It's like blowing like the, the wooden mobile thing. It's just like banging. And Leanne's just sitting on a floor against the dresser. So Dorothy gets to the window. She gets it shut. and It's like kind of painful and everything like that. And then she asked Leanne, she's like, can you get something to clean up this mess so it doesn't destroy her, the floor? So Leanne gets up and she goes in the drawer. She She's pulls like a little tiny something like that. She starts wiping. Dorothy just looks at her. She's like, Oh Leanne. She's like, I've never met anyone like you. It's like, sometimes you remind me of myself. And Leanne kind of like looks up at her and Dorothy's like, make sure you get that under that lamp. And she's like, you and I we're both tenacious. We never give up. And Leanne kind of looks at her. She's like, that's not always a good thing. And Leanne's like, you keep acting like there's something wrong with me. Like you want to get rid of me. All I ever do is try to make you happy. And, And Dorothy's like, it's not your job to make me happy. It never was. And Leanne's like, why is it so impossible for you to like me? Dorothy's like, Oh, Leanne, the world is full of people out there. Why does it have to be me? And Leanne's like, even Sean and Julian don't like me anymore. Maybe you could explain to them that I'm not a monster. And you know, Dorothy, she's like in pain. She's like feeling, you know, in her, in her back. And then Leanne's like, do you need help with your brace? And she's like, no, she's like, no, it's okay. I can take it off for you. She's like, no, it's fine. I don't need it anymore. But the doctor said, oh, my God, Leanne, please, just let me try to handle this one thing on my own. Maybe maybe we can keep talking. Perhaps I can help you see things a different way. So Dorothy wheels through the bathroom, and she, like, kind of stops and looks at her reflection, which I wasn't sure what that was about. Leanne, just like, she goes up in the attic, and, you know, then Doris, the she decides to take a shower in the middle of the night, I guess. Leanne, meanwhile, puts a ladder up to the skylight. She pushes it open. The wind, like whoosh, it's like super gusty out there, like, you know, flips back. Then she climbs up like she's like sticking her, you know, half her body outside. Lightning strikes strikes, like an antenna or something nearby. And she's like, is that all you got? And she's like laughing. Julian climbs the stairs to the attic, like, here's her laughing, and he yells. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, get down. She, like, looks at him, starts coming down, and she's still kind of laughing. She's like, it's all for me, Julian. Don't you get it? The storm, all of it, it's for me. And he thinks that he can beat me, but he can't because I've won. Julian's like, he's like, just come downstairs. She's like, I want to show you something. And she, like, kind of looks at him, and she's like, no. And they, like, stare at each other. Then he, like, grabs her. Sean! Sean runs in, grabs her from behind, like covers her mouth. They carry her, you know, they're going to carry her down. She kind of elbows Sean and he like slams against the, the wall by the stairs. And then they like drop her on the landing, like, like with a big thud. And they're like, look over, you know, standing over and she's just like lying there, they must, they must've taken her down. Cause then she's like gagged and like tied to a wheelchair. And they're going like through the tunnels and she's kind of like struggling. It's like super dark. You can barely see anything. Then they reach, you know, you can see like a light from, there's a glow. George is there with like a lantern. He slowly turns. Hello, Leanne. And there's like some others with him. And, And Julian's like, who are they? And George is like, you two should go now. And Julian, like there's, there's like fire and everything. He's like, why is there a fire? Sean's like, it doesn't matter. Come on. And Leanne's just like glaring at George and Sean and Julian leave. Dorothy's still in the shower. She hears Jericho start crying, so she gets dressed. She starts walking, but then she like falls. She's like in pain. Jericho's cries are like getting louder and louder. So it's like, is is he just going to disappear because Leanne's not there? You know how does this work? So then she starts crying, and Jericho's like like standing in his crib. She's like, it's okay, baby, Mommy's here. Sean has a drink. Julian vomits, and then he gives like Julian a a, a drink. George takes a, the gag off Leanne's mouth, and he's like. We don't need you to be uncomfortable. I only need you to listen. And she like, kind of like looks at her wrist. He's like, very well. Why should we pretend these frail bits of ropes can contain you? We both know exactly what you are. And he's like, if I ever showed you any kindness, I beg you to remember that. When you first came to this house, it was an act of love. But that love, or that love was a selfish love. It has brought death and destruction down upon us all. And she's like, anything bad that happens in the world because is because of him, not me. And George like, you misunderstand him. He does not see you or me. His perfect order is too great for us to comprehend. We can only serve it. And she's like, you've been telling me that nonsense my entire life. I don't believe it anymore. I will never serve him again, ever. Then you truly have fallen. And, and he actually like sheds a tear. And she's like, stop that. He's like, I will weep until I have no more strength to weep because the world is lost. And she's like, don't be ridiculous. It may not be the world that he wants, but the sun will still rise every day. And George is like, no, it won't. The signs are clear. Look around you. You should not exist. You are an open wound in the earth. And now the whole world suffers. The ones you love, Dorothy, this family, you have trapped them in a the living hell. This deluge tonight is the only the beginning a world out of balance is a world of endless suffering unless you choose to end it and save us all. So basically, he's like, you need to be dead. He, he pulls out the red hot blade from the fire and he holds it by her. He's like, we have tried to offer you to true death, but none of us can kill you. Your rage and your self will burn too bright. Only a, one creature can do it. One creature is strong enough, you. And she like whispers, she's like, I can't. He's like, I'll be right here to help you, little flower. First your eye, then your limbs. If you truly love the turners, give them the life they were meant to have. Set them free, and know that they will always remember you. And he's he's kinda of like sobbing a little when he does so. It's it's almost like he does care about her, I guess. And it's like he is so he he obviously lied to Sean and Julian, but he's says knows that or she needs to go away, I guess. She needs to be dead. And he's like, "Best of all, God will forgive you all your sins and your wickedness." And I was like, "Okay, dude, you you said too much." Because then her eyes like look up. You know, she was kind of looking down, and she's like, "Who said I was wicked?" And then so, so the, whole, and the knife is like right in her face. She grabs it, zhunk, jabs it under his chin, like into his head. And You hear like the sizzle, and then you know his mouth's open. You see, it's just like. Glowing in there. He falls over. The others that were there, they like they panic. They, they turn around, and start to run out, out the other way. She goes after him, and you hear, We're still in here. Come quick. Look out. Stop. Just ah! all the screaming. And then Leanne comes back out by George's body. She plucks his eyes out, and then she takes like lighter fluid and she's like, Sets him on, on fire. And she's like, He's all yours. Julian is sitting with his face in his hand. Then they hear like humming. He's like, Who's that? They're like in the kitchen. Sean's like, That wasn't part of the plan. Sean picks up like a a cheese knife or something like that from the table. And Julian hisses, like, don't. He's like, put it down. You'll just make it worse. Sean gets up. He's like, she's just a deranged girl. We got this. There's like thunder and everything. There's like howling with the wind. Julian's like, you hear that? And she said that the the storm was all because of her. Sean's like, that's BS. That's just the wind. And then they start walking towards the living room. And the the wind's howling louder. Then there's like a window off to the side to like the left of them right like right in front right when they're about to cross it whoosh, it like busts open like right in front of them dorothy you know she's still crawling she hears something from stairs and she, you know, she keeps crawling she's like sean sean i guess I, i'm pretty sure it was a knife at first i is so friggin dark and i couldn't tell if it was like a knife or a glass or i think it was a knife so it like ended up like in his shoulder like his chest like off to the side. And Leanne now is just like standing in the doorway. Julian is, because you know he go, went to Sean to, to check on him, and he like stands up. He's like, I'm so sorry for what we did to you. He's like, please. He's like, my phone is on the table. I just need to call 911 for Sean. So she just steps aside without saying a word, and then as he goes to walk past her, she pushes him down the stairs to like the cellar. And then he, he kind of like gets knocked out for, for like a second. So then he, he kind of starts getting up, and she's like at the top of the stairs. He's like, he like backs away. He's walking over like the, the two planks of wood that are over like the big hole in the floor. And then he leans too far and he like falls into like the pool of water underneath him. And then his big shelf falls over the top. So someone's like, he's like trapped him in there. And Leanne's just, like, humming, and Sean's, like, you know, she's going towards Sean. He's, like, get away from me. Get away from me. And Dorothy hears from upstairs, and then she grabs a knife. I'm pretty sure it was a knife, again, like 99% sure it was a knife, not, like, just a big shard of glass. And and she, like, pulls it out, and then she takes She I don't know if it was Julian's phone. So she calls 911. She asks for two ambulances, and and but she is putting, like, pressure on the wound. She's grabbed, like, a towel, and she's, like, pushing it against it. Dorothy managed to crawl to like the top of the stairs by the railing. And then she sees Leanne down there. She's like, Leanne, what happened? And she's like, where's Sean? And Leanne's like, shh, you should make sure Jericho's okay. Then you can hear sirens. Paramedics come in. Julian is like, you know, strapped to the chair and like wheeled out. And she just kind of like waves to him. Sean is like on on a gurney also, like they're getting ready to leave. And she whispers, she's like, I'm never going to let you back in this house. And then they wheel him out. And he just kind of like looks back at her. And then, you know, you can see her because he's being wheeled out backwards. She, like, walks up the stairs. Dorothy's at the railing. Leanne, like, sits. And Dorothy's like, what did you do? And she's like, I didn't do anything, Mrs. Turner. It was just an accident. You know how accidents can happen. And then she's like, it's just you and me now. <laughs> like, thunder in the background. So that was, uh, the episode, I mean, I don't know what she meant by when she told Sean. She's like, I'm never going to let you in here. I mean... And it's it's weird because she was like really loyal. She really liked Sean. You know, she tried. You know, she wanted to be success. Although, you know, in the beginning, you know, things were a little, you know, when with the the, the stuff in his mouth or whatever, the, the the twigs or the splinters or whatever. But yeah, he. he she, they both betrayed her. You know, they were both going to turn her over. So I. So yeah, she's she's mad. So we have um, two more episodes, and um, I have I have no idea where this is going it's it's weird because it's like is she evil is she not i don't even know but man then with the last of us oh boy uh at season one episode eight when we are in need there's some dude talking. His name's David. He recites Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And I heard a great voice out of heaven say, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes." And someone named like Hannah's like crying, and David like stops. He's he's like looks at. They're like in this like um, uh, kind of like a tavern, and you know this is supposed to be like a makeshift makeshift church. So he's like, I've read this passage too many times. And he, he gets down to me knee and he asks Hannah, he's like, do you remember what comes next? And she like shakes her head. He's like, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither will there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he asks if she knows what that means. And she like slowly like nods and he gets up and she's like, w- when can we bury him? So he kind of like whoops around and everyone's kind of like silently stares. And then he's like, the ground is too cold to dig. He's like, we'll bury your father in the spring. So it's it's like, what was that all about? But it was weird because a couple of people just kind of like looked at him. It's like, but then it makes sense later. So people like leave the, the, the whatever sort of church, tavern. And then uh, David asks his other dude, James, he's like, how much do we have left? Uh, and he's like, uh, venison, elk, rabbit. He, James is like, if we keep, you know, the whole town on rations, maybe a week, two at best. And he's like, these two guys, you know, whatever. It's like, they, they think they spotted some deer the other night a couple miles east. He's like, it was dark or, you know, sometimes you see what you want to see. So then he goes to leave and David calls him. He's like, James? He's like, I'm sensing some doubt in there. And then he like, he's like, oh, I don't know. He's, he's like, no. he was basically referring to James. And James kind of like scoffs, whatever. He's like, I still believe. He's like, you know, the last six months have been hard. And David's like, they've been hard for all of us. He's like, I just need to know that you're with me. And he's like, Yeah. Then David says, get our guns. He's like, we're going hunting. Oh. Ellie's looking at Joel's wounds. You know, his his cut that she sewed. It's like nasty. She covers him back up. She puts some water on his lips. She's like, Are you thirsty or whatever? She takes a couple of bites of like a bard and she leaves a tiny piece on his chest because you know he's just like still out. Then she like looks at, at the rifle and she whispers, she's like, I'll be right back. So outside, she's a little tense and she's got the gun, she's drawn, she's like, she looks like kind of like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, almost. Then she goes out to the woods, she's looking for tracks and she sees a rabbit and she starts going after it. She runs, but then she like trips, push, like falls like you know flat in, into the snow. She walks some more, then she hears like some clicking. So it's like, is this a clicker? It's like, that's not good. There's some big clicker, but then it's, it's just a big deer. So she lays down, he takes off her glove, and she's looking in a scope. She breathes. It got hit, but it still runs. So she has to go after it. And But then David and James, they find a dead deer. So there's like you know some some bloody tracks. So it must have ran and ran, and then it finally died. So they, they look around. It's like they don't see anyone. So they're like, well, we could probably take it if we're quick. Then they get down, and they hear, don't. Drop your rifles now. So Ellie's pointing her rifle at them. She tells her, like, turn slowly, no s- sudden moves, or it's a bullet in the eyes. Same for buddy boy. <laughs> David's like, oh, you're quite the hunter. She's like, we didn't even hear you coming. And she's like, "You know, turn around and walk away. And, and then David's like, uh, just get 10 seconds of your time. And she's like, I won't ask twice. He's like, please. He's like, my name is David. This is James. Like, we're from a larger group with the children, women and children. He's like, and we're all very, very hungry. Ellie's like, yeah, I'm from a large group too, also hungry. David's like, even so, he's like, you can't drag this back alone. And he's like, we're not asking for charity. You know, we, we can trade. We can trade you know something for the deer. You know, like what do you need? She's like, we have boots. And she's like, medicine, like like for infections. And David's like, yeah, we do in our village. She's like you're welcome to follow us. It's like uh-huh. And she's like, I'm not following anyone anywhere. She's like, buddy boy can get it. It's like, he comes back, you get half the deer. Anyone else shows up, I put. And David finishes, one right between my eyes. So David tells James to go to talk to Howard. He's got a case with some penicillin. You know, bring back two bottles and a syringe. James kind of looks at him like a little confused. And David's like, it's not code, James. Just do as I say it. And Ellie like ejects the 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 shells from their rifles. And David asks, he's like, is that your dad's rifle? Is, Is he the one that's sick? And he says that you know, I got some oil and stuff in my backpack. So like, we can go over that old barn and make a fire. It's a four mile round trip. So, you know, it's going to take James some time. And then she's like, okay. She's like, bring him, bring the deer. So there's a little fire. And he says that, you know, she really shouldn't be out here alone. And she's like, well, you know, from where I'm sitting, you shouldn't be out here alone. And then he's like, well, what's your name? And she just like shakes her head. He's like, yeah, I get it. You know, it, it's it's hard to trust strangers. And he's like, I honestly mean you no harm. He's like, for what it's worth, there's room for you in our group, if, if you want. And she's like, you're inviting me to your hunger club? Thanks. He's like, sure. He's like, we're hungry, but we're still here. He's like, you know, I'm just a decent man trying to help people who rely on us. And she's like, well, are you their leader? He's like, well, it wasn't my choice; it was theirs. So she's like, they chose you to follow you. Is this some weird cult thing? He's like, uh, well, yeah, sorta. Of. You got me there. I am a preacher. He's like, but I just—it's just pretty, you know, standard Bible stuff. And and he like, she like, kind of smirks. And he's like, what? She's like, the whole world ended, and you sp- still believe that poop? He's like, I actually started believing after the world ended. She's like, before that, I was a teacher, math taught kids about your age she's like so you went from teacher to preacher because what if fudging rhymes and he's like yeah exactly and then she's like but seriously he's like well i found god after the apocalypse which is either the best time or the worst time to find him but when the pittsburgh qz fell in 17 fireflies and fedra he's like i was left with a few others and that's how i ended up with our flock and she's like long way from pittsburgh He's like, yeah, you know, we'd settle somewhere and then raiders would come and we'd move again. As we wandered, we picked up new people until we ended up here. She's like, well, your luck had to run out sooner or later. He's like, luck? He's like, there's no such thing as luck. He's like, no, I believe everything happens for a reason. She gives him like a, a, yeah, right, look, And he's like, it does. He's like, "I, I can prove it to you. And he's like... We didn't expect the winter to be so cold. You know, now nothing will grow. Game's been hard to find. I sent, you know, four people to a nearby town to scavenge what, what they could. Only three of them came back. The one that didn't was a father. He had a daughter just like you. And her dad was taken from her. Turns out he was murdered by this crazy man. And get this, that crazy man was traveling with a little girl. You see, everything happens for a reason. And then he's like, James, lower the gun. So James is standing behind her, you know, because she started getting a little tense. And then, you know, she turns and sees him. So she gets up, you know, turns around. James s- says that, you know, she's the one who killed Alec. And David's like, she didn't kill anybody. He's like, lower a gun. James like looks at him and he like slowly lowers it. And David's asked, he's like, did you, you know, did you bring the medicine? He's like, yeah, but he's like, throw it to her. And he's like, David. And, you know, then James tosses it. She tells him, she's like, okay, back away. And David says that he knows she's not with the group. He's like, you won't you know, survive for long out here. He's like, I can protect you. She picks it up, starts to go, and then she runs, and James scoffs. He's like, you're just going to let her get away? So it's like, for my thing, it was like, you know, does she cover her tracks or anything like that? So she makes it back to Joel. She takes a syringe, she wonders, like, where the fudge do I put it? So she sticks it like right in the center to cut, and he's like moans a little bit, but he's still like out of it, covers him back up, and then she like lays next to him with her head on his shoulder. So it's snowing, so it's like it's, I, I couldn't tell, I don't remember how much it was snowing, but I would think maybe hopefully her tracks will be covered. So there's like some dude cooking, there's like the big kitchen, there's other people who come in, there's like chop. I'm assuming venison or something like that. From, I think that's what they said it was. Um, people are served. Then David and James walk and drag into the deer. And no one's like says anything. It doesn't seem like anyone's impressed. But David's like, If you heard a rumor, yes, we found a girl who was with the man who took Alec from us. When the sun rises, I'll lead a group out to pick up her trail. It won't be hard to find in the snow. We'll follow it to wherever they're hiding. And it will bring that man to justice. Which... This part really kind of bugs me. Ew, what are you talking about, Justice? They attacked the four dudes, the one dude, whatever, attacked Joel, swung a baseball bat at his head, and if Ellie didn't call out and, you know, if Joel didn't duck, it would have cracked his head open. And he, you know, but instead the guy hit the tree. So then Joel got the, the drop on him because he's just like a massive tank or whatever, and he that's when he snapped his neck. So it's like he, they attacked Joel and Ellie, Joel was just protecting himself. They didn't have to do that. But Hannah's like, you should just kill him, because it was her dad. He's like, you should kill them both. David walks up to her, backhands her, and she like falls out of her seat onto the floor. Then he like gets down, extends his hand to her. She takes it, and then he you know, looks at her like he's still on his knee, and then he's like, I know you think you don't have a father anymore, but the truth is, Hannah, you will always have a father. And you will show him respect when he's speaking. Then he takes off his jacket and it sits. Um, I think Hannah's mom gets him a like a plate of food or whatever. And then he says, "Grace," you know, they all say whatever. And then you can hear him like like all eating super fast, like scraping, you know, the the stew and stuff like out of their bowls. Next day, Ellie's sitting next to Joel. He's still like unconscious. She checks his forehead, I guess, see if he has a fever. Looks at his wound, and you know. It's it's still red and everything like that. So then uh, she gives him more penicillin. Just, you know, just fills up the syringe again. She doesn't know how much, to, you know, what she's doing. Then she goes. She opens the garage. She goes out with the horse, she, or, or you know, or she gets some like snow for it to like eat and drink or whatever. And then she sees like a bunch of birds flying and like calling and everything. So she goes to look. The horse is still in the garage. She sees some guys walking, and you know, just like David and like I think it was like four four others four or five so david tells him he's like to stay alert uh he's like the man he's not if he's not already dead he's dangerous and james like well what about the girl david's like we bring her back with us james like i don't mean to question your sense of mercy he's like you know we can let her go but if we bring her back she's just another mouth to feed david's like if we leave her out here she'll die james like well maybe that's god's will David, like, stops w- walking, and he, like, just looks at James. And James, like, kind of, like, looks down, like, like uh, you know, embarrassed. So Ellie runs down the stairs. She, she tries, Joe, Joe, get up, get up. You know, she tries waking up. His eyes are kind of cracked open, but he's just, like, so groggy and out of it and, you know, whatever. So she he takes a knife. She puts a knife in, her, in his hand. And she's like, there are men coming. She's like, I'm going to lead them away from you. But if anyone makes it down here, you fudge and kill them. And she goes upstairs. She drags, like, this big cabinet armoire, like, in front of the, the door to the basement, closes the garage, gets on the horse, she starts riding, Gets ends up behind them. And she's like, hey, mother truckers. And she, like, shoots, and, like, kind of wide. They, like, duck and scattered. She shoots again. She's, like, riding. And David's like, he yells, he's, like, alive. You know, he wants her back alive. So she's, like, riding um, David, or, or no, not David, James, it was like, like running, but he like hops some fences and stuff like that. So he's going to you know try to cut her off. He gets his rifle lined up. As she comes riding down the street, he like, shoots. He must have hit the horse because the horse goes down. She goes like flying off of it. And then, you know, he he looks, he go, goes up. He yells. He's like, I got her. Her vision is all blurry, you know, as he goes up to her. And then two others come running up and they're like, do it. So David cocks the rifle, but then there's a shot in there. And David's standing behind him. He walks up to Ellie, like, checks her pulse, like, on her neck. And then the, the five dudes are just, like, standing there looking at each other. And he's like, two of you with me. He's like, drag the horse. The rest of you stay here. Go door to door. He's like, you're so hungry for vengeance, deliver it. So he picks up Ellie like, carries her. They, like, left her backpack, whatever. But then uh, they, they start spreading out, like, searching the houses. So Joel hears a guy walking around upstairs. The, the guy upstairs sees a cabinet, like, in, in front of... The, the the kitchen door which would do you notice that right i don't know maybe i mean i don't know he he pushes it aside he goes downstairs he sees a bloody mattress and then he he starts looking around you know the, the basement and then joel jumps from behind and like shoves a knife in his throat and he's like holding him he's like you know they brings him down to the, to the ground Joel's like like wheezing because you know he's still like is like weak Ellie wakes up and she's like in a cage, and she's like in in a kitchen because you can see like like cooking stuff like against the wall. And then David, he's like, "Oh, I wasn't sure if you were gonna wake up." And she's like, "Let me out." He's like, "Well, that's the plan." She's like, "Why am I in a cage?" He's like, "Well, you're a dangerous person. You've proven that." And he's like, "The others, they want me to kill you for all that's happened." And he's like, "Did you hear me say that the others want to kill you?" She's like, "Yeah." He's like, "But I stopped them." And she's like, "Fudge you." David's like, "Well, why don't we start with your name?" He's like, eat poop. He's like, hey, listen to me. You can't survive on your own. No one can, but I can help you. Let me protect you. And she's like, I'm not on my own. He's like, right, your friend. And how is he? He's like, I can see how much you care about him. So I know it hurts. But even so, you got to face reality. That part of your life, it's ending. And what I'm offering you is a beginning. But if you can't find a way to trust me, then yes, you are alone. And he gets up and walks out. Guys are still, like, looking around. Then a guy hears, like, a thud. He calls out to Timothy, and he sees him, like, lying on the ground. He's like, oh, crap. He goes up to him, and Joel jumps out, smashes him with the butt of the rifle, fades to black. And then, so, uh, Timothy and Marco, they're, they're both groaning. Timothy is, like, taped to a chair. These are just two, two guys. It doesn't matter who they are, but that's their names. So, Timothy's taped to a chair, like a recliner or, like, a sofa chair or whatever, and uh, Joel's like punching him in the face, and he's like, "Stop! Please stop!" This Marco, dude, he's like tied up—you know, his his—they're tied with like duct tape. So his, his like legs are tied up, and then he's like tied to like a piano. Marco tells him, he's, "Like leave him alone," and Joel's like, "You next." So then uh, Timothy so "He's like, I don't know, no girl." And then Joel slams a knife down like on his leg, like right above his knee, and and then Timothy calls out to Marco, and Joel grabs him by the hair. He's like. He's like, he can't help you. He's like, focus here or I'll pop your fudging kneecap off. <laughs> Just so nasty. And Timothy's like, she's alive. And he's like, where? And he doesn't say anything. So he starts like pushing on a knife. He's like, ah, fudge, fudge. He's like, ah, he's like the town. He's like screaming. Joe's like, what town? And, and Timothy's like, Silver Lake. So Joel gets his map, starts unfolding it. Timothy's like, it's not a real town name. It's a resort. And Joel's like, a resort? Then he yanks the knife out. And then joel shoves a knife handle in his mouth like the other he doesn't shove it that hard he's like you're gonna point to where we are and where your resort is and it better be the same exact spot that your buddy points to so he's like he points he's like that's where we are he's like go ask him i'm not lying and then joel thrusts the knife into his chest and marco's like no jesus like what the fuck did you do that for he told you what you wanted and joel like picks up a metal pipe And and Marco's like you mother trucker. He's like fudge you. He's like I ain't telling you poop. And Joel's like it's okay. I believe him. And then thrust a pipe down on top of his head. Ellie's like using. She uses a bucket. She tries you know climbs up and pulls herself up to look out the window. tries to figure out where she's at. Starts checking like the bolts on the fence, see if any of them are loose. And then she's like just gets rigid. So it's it's like she just stands still. And David walks in with food. So it's like wait, was she scared? Because did she hear him coming? But then he, like, looks over what she's staring at. There's, like, a severed ear on the ground, like, next to the cage. And David's like, for what it's worth, this is just deer meat, I swear. Because he's got, like, some food and stuff like that. And she's like, you're going to chop me up to little pieces. David's like, I'd rather not. He's like, please, just tell me your name. If you want to judge me. And she's like, judge you? You're eating people, you sick fudge. And she kicks a tray, you know, under the fence. And then he, like, stands. He's like, Yes. There are only a few of us that know. So that must ha- be what happened to Alec, uh, Hannah's dad, when she asked when are they going to bury him. And then that guy just kind of like look at him because they probably already chopped him up. So he's like, you know, only a few of us know, but I would have told you sooner or later, I guess sooner. And she's like, you're an animal. He's like, well, yes, we are, all are. He's like, that's sort of the point. It was a last resort. You think it doesn't shame me, but what was I supposed to do? Let them starve? these people who put their lives in my hands who expect me to keep them safe who love me it's like yeah maybe you don't believe that you know i i don't think your your friend would either didn't he take another man's life to save yours and she's like he was defending himself he's like he was defending you but you knew that you see a lot so do i you know what i see when i look at you me you remind me of me you're a natural leader smart loyal violent She's like, you don't know anything about me. He's like, oh, but I do. If I let you out of that cage right now, put that knife of yours in your hand, you'd stick me in a second. You have a violent heart and I should know. I've always had a violent heart and I struggle with it for a long time. But then the world ended and I was shown the truth. And she's like, right, by, by God. He's like, no, by cordyceps. He's like, what does it do? Is it evil? No, it's fruitful. It multiplies. It feeds and protects its children. And it secures its future with violence. If it must, it loves. And she's like, Why are you tell me all of this? Because you can handle it the way the others can. They need God. They need heaven. They need they need a father. You don't. You're beyond that. I'm a shepherd surrounded by sheep, and all I want is an equal, a friend. And she's like, What about my friend? Like I said, loyal. I can tell the others to stop looking for him. They'll spare him. And she's like, Really? They'll just let him go? And David's like, Yes. If he leaves us in peace, they will just let him go. They do what I tell them to. They follow me, and they would follow us. Lord knows I could use the help. Look at what's happened. Think of all we could do together, as strong as we are. And he, he kind of puts his hand on, on a, the bar at the door. He's like, we'd make this place perfect. We'd grow, spread out, and do whatever we needed for our people. Imagine the life we could give them. And she like puts her hand on the bar, and then he like slowly puts his hand like on hers. He's like, imagine the life we could build. And then she whispers, she's like, oh. And then puts she puts her other hands on his, snaps his finger back. And he like, you know, she, I think she's like trying to reach for his keys. I think she actually unhook, no, hooks him. He's in pain, he, but he grabs her, slams her against the, the gate a couple times. She like falls back. She's got a bloody nose. He's like, you little runt. But he doesn't call her a runt. Um he picks up his keys on the floor, he's like, Let's see w- what I go tell the others now. <laughs> it's like boo-hoo, you friggin' perv. It's like, is he talking about they're gonna build a world? It's like, what are you talking about? And like touching her hand or so she's like on her hands and knees, and then she's like, Ellie. And he's like, What? And she's like, Tell them that Ellie's a little girl who broke your fudging finger. And then and he's like, how did you put it? Hmm? Tiny little pieces. And then he storms out. It's like a little baby. Joel's trudging through the snow. Like he, It almost looks like he barely has a warm enough jacket. He sees like blood on the ground like something was dragged. And then he slams open a, a paddock. And he looks inside. He's, I think he might have seen Ellie's backpack or something like that. And then the horse is lying in, in the other room. And then he sees some dead humans hanging. So that must be where they keep the meat. David and James come in after Ellie and she screams and as they're like taking her out of cage, she bites David's hands and like breaks the skin and, and he like knees her and then she yells at him. She's like, wait, because uh, they, they tell her, like, shut up. They slam her like on a chopping block and, you know, I think uh, James has like a butcher knife or whatever and she's like, don't do it, please. And David's like, you had your chance or wait, maybe it was David. No, David raises a butcher knife and then she yells, she's like, I'm infected She's like, I'm infected, and now so are you. David, like, scoffs. He looks at the bite in his hand, and she's like, roll up my sleeve. Look at it. He takes a butcher knife, whoosh, slams it down next to her head, like like inches from her. Then he rolls up her sleeve. Of, of course, he rolls up the the, the correct sleeve, and he's kind of, like, taken aback. And then he looks at James, and she's like, what did you say? Everything happens for a reason, right? And James whispers, like, David... And he like shakes his head. He's like, no. She's like, she would have turned by now. This isn't real. James is like, looks pretty fudging real to me. And then she's like sitting there like kind of looking. She grabs the butcher knife, slams it into like James like sh- like between the like shoulder and his neck. He like falls back. And then she gets up. David like shoots as she runs out the door. He like shoots twice, but he misses. He hits like the, the, the side by the door. She's like so lucky. The first time I was like, wait, did he shoot her in the back? So she makes it out of there. She goes to like some doors, but it's locked. So she's like hiding. She or she grabs like some burning wood out of like this other like fire stove, and then uh, James comes out and he's like kind of like calling to her, and then she throws it at him. I thought she was gonna like, stab him with it or something like that because he had ducks and it just like lands behind him, but it catches on the curtains on like on the booth and because they're like in the tavern area part. So the, the curtain started catching on fire. And then he, you know, she moves. He's, like, debating, should he go after her? Should he deal with the fire or whatever? But then he's like, there's no way out, Ellie. The doors are locked, and I have the keys. And he's like, Ellie. And the fire is, like, at the, the ceiling now. He's like, Ellie. So now he's, like, he's just, like, psych, psychotic. So Joel's coming through the snow. He's got his pistol in his hand. And then Dave's like, Ellie, I know you're not infected. No one infected fights this hard to stay alive. It's like, so... How did you do it? What's the secret? Or are you just that fudging special? No one likes being hum- humiliated, Ellie. You don't know how good I am. And, and she's been like kind of moving around as, as he's like looking and trying to find her. And then uh, she made it back to like this other little kitchen area. She finds this little knight and he's like, you don't know what I could have given you if you had just let me. He's like, well, I have news for you. Neither one of us is dying today. You see, I've changed my mind. I've decided... You do need a father, and I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to teach you, Ellie. He's like, Ellie. So then she's behind him. She charges at him, which is not too stealthily. She she shouldn't have, like, "Ah!" so he swings the butcher knife, but she easily ducks it, and she, like, stabs him, like, with, with her knife, and he, like, slams her down, but he's hurt. So she's like, sees something on the ground. It's the, the butcher knife. And then, you know, she starts moving towards it. He like kicks her and then he like gets on top of her and she like spits at him. And he's like, Oh, I thought you already knew. The fighting is a part I like most, which again, it's like gross. And he's like, Don't be afraid. And then he like starts quoting, There's no fear in love. Her hands, like, you know, she's still reaching. She finally reaches a dropped butcher knife, slams it into his arm. She gets up. She like runs to him and slams at him again she like slams him 21 times you know so the place is in flames she's just like she yeah it was it was bad so she gets to the door she gets the door open she must grab his keys she's outside and then someone grabs her and she starts screaming it's joel and, and because you know, she doesn't know who he is. And then he, like, you know, turns around. He, like, holds her face. He's like, it's me. It's me. It's okay. And she starts talking. And he, but then she just, like, hugs him. And then he's like, it's okay, baby girl. He's like, I've got you. I've got you. And he, like, takes off one of his jackets, and then they kind of limp away. But just the fact that he called her baby girl, because that's what he called his daughter. So it's just like, oh, my goodness. Oh. And what makes this worse, there's only one episode left. Of the season. Uh, This is such a good show. It's no severance, but it's such a good show. When severance coming back? Oh man, but that was just a. But they're poor horse. How do they have no horse? And she lost her jacket. Stupid David. Then The Flash, season nine, episode six, The Mask of the Red Death, part two. So. I, a, I I feel like in some ways this was almost like a final episode, not like full fledged, but there's a lot of things that were wrapped up here. And you know, thinking about some of the comments, you know, or the, the the whole you know Mark Guggenheim thing or whatever, and just you know how this the the show, you know, it the fact that the the Flash has been on for nine seasons, you know that that's that's amazing. That that's great. there has been some really cool things, but. At the same time, because it's television, you know, I feel like some things are purposely written differently. You know, some of the way the characters are portrayed, or act, or react, or even the, like things that they say—that stuff like wouldn't fly in a feature-length film because it's just a totally different thing. Because there, there's times where I'm, I'm rolling my eyes, and I don't think I'm like necessarily have too high expectations or this or that or, but it's just like some things are just it's like it's like come on man so I don't know uh, I, and I, I debate with this because you know I, I do feel an attachment to the show you know because it has been nine years but part of me is like I don't know if I want to keep covering this because it's, it's just like I don't know but uh, I guess we'll see I, 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 I you might hear me crunching I shouldn't do this I just um I just paused for a bit. I was like, oh I got some some uh, what are these cheez it's said, t- t- whatever nip <laughs> Cheez Its Um I should just close them and put them away because I had just had a, a couple and now I'm like you know, you can't stop. Anyways, there's still like red lightning over, over the city. Kramer's told it's getting worse out there, you know, she's at the police station, Captain Kramer. And and then there, you know, there's all these emergencies, you know, so what they need help. Kramer's like, well, I know just where to find it. So she goes to her office, and you know, because she's going to call a flash. Someone's sitting in her chair. She's like, "Officer, can I help you?" The chair swivels around, and his murmur, whatever her name is, without her mask, and you know, her lips are sewn shut. And then she's holding the the, the flash key fob thing, which is like, how would she even know about that? How would she know where to find it? How would she get in there? Whatever. And so she signs, looking for this. But what if, uh, you know, does Kramer know how to sign? You know, she just assumes that. And then, and then see, this is part of what, what I'm talking about. Because then she holds up her master face for some strange reason. And it's just like, I, this, this is weird. So Kramer starts to back away. And there's like a red streak goes by. So it's like, is that Barry? No, it's not. So she goes like out, out you know, into like the main part of like the, the lobby area of the police station. Or whatever you want to call it, the bullpen. And like everyone's gone. And Murmur walks by her with her big knife and just kind of, like, sort of, like, brushes it against her. And then Red Death is there with Boomerang, that dorky Rainbow Rider Raider guy, whatever they're calling him, and, and Fiddler. And a Murmur goes, stands next to him. So, again, they're all standing in a row, like, in front of that big, like, Injustice for All type of whatever, you know, plaque statue or whatever memorial. I don't even know what you were going to call that. So it's just so cheesy that they're all standing there in a line, whatever. And then Red Death removes her helmet for some reason. <laughs> it's like the way, I, why? Why do you have this helmet? You know, protecting your identity, and then you're just gonna take it off. So she tells, uh, she's like, "Take the hardware to the roof and let me know when it's ready." And Kramer then uses her meta mimic power things, and she copies Rainbow Raider's fear power thing, and he like freaks out. He's like, ah! And Fiddler does too. Ryan's able to fight it off somehow. We, we, I guess we find out later how. And she's like, a mimic, how cute. And so she runs up to her and she slaps meta metacuffs on her because they're so easy. How does everyone have metacuffs? And how how is it even possible to design metacuffs that work automatically for everyone? Are all the different types of... I mean, I guess because they're all from the same power source. It, I just... I don't understand how this works. But so she's she's got... The, she can't use her powers. Then... Reimer talks to Kramer. She's like, "See, it's like that. That took guts." So like, I think you're the kind of cop who so appreciate what I'm about to do. And Kramer's like, "Whatever you're planning, you won't get away with it." <laughs> this is just cheesy dialogue, and she's like, "Yes, I will. <laughs> I'll show you what true justice looks like." So then, Allegra, you know, she repeats what Barry said last episode. He's like, "We never leave anyone behind." And Goldface is like, uh, we do what it saves our butt. <laughs> and Hartley's like, it was either them or Mark, so they had no choice. And Goldface just keeps going on whatever. Then Jacko's like, oh, crap. You know, Red Death's coming for us next, isn't she? And Hartley's like, well, we destroyed her cosmic treadmill. You know, it's our only way out of, of this dimension. So, yeah, so, you know, she and the, the city are next. And Barry's like, then we have to save the city. It's like people are in danger, you know, but they don't want to go without a plan. Barry, he hardly has any speed since so she's like stole some of his speed or whatever, most of his speed. So they just want to say put, but Iris is like, well, you know, maybe we don't need to go out in the field. So she says that <laughs> she got to know Ryan during their like their five minutes of chit chat, whatever. So she's like, she's got to be full of like hate and rage. And Barry's like, which we can trace with the help of a friend. So Cecile, they're going to use Cecile's empathic abilities to Try to focus in on on Ryan's rage and anger. <laughs> and they're gonna boost her em- empathic abilities and superimpose it over the city or whatever. Because of course Chuck knows exactly how to do this. He's gonna tap into her power and somehow expand it. And it's, it's like it's not like he took a college course on on empathic abilities or meta human powers and how to change them or. Um, but maybe they did this before. I, I don't remember. They, they But it's just like, it's whatever. It's just so convenient. And then, you know, it's kind of weird in the beginning, but I, again, I guess we find out later because Ryan somehow can feel Cecile. She's like, empath. So Cecile, then she says that she found her. She's trying to push her out, but, you know, she found her. She's like, there's so much anger. It's overwhelming. So they, they see that she's uh, at CCPD, and there's there's someone else, someone really scared and in pain. So Cecile's starting to get overtaken. And then she, like, screams, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And Barry's like, who? And she's like, Mark. Which I was thinking, you know, because we didn't see him actually die. We just saw Murmur and Boomerang, you know, they're all, like, throwing their weapons in at the same time to stab him or whatever. But it's like he was just made a series regular this season. He's still in the intro. They're not going to kill him, you know. After uh, a couple episodes, but he's apparently alive. So we kind of see him. He's like he's hanging by chains, you know. He's he's tied up at at the evil warehouse. So they talk to the others. Goldface, Jack, and Hartley. They don't want to go back to Red Death's base. Jack afraid that this doesn't make any sense. They're afraid that she'll come back when they're there. So Goldface says that they know where she's at that she's at the police station and she doesn't know that they're coming so it would be a good time to attack her so it's like wait you don't want to go to her warehouse you know where she's at she's at the police station you don't want to go to the warehouse because you're afraid she's going to come back but you want to go to the police station where she is and attack her that doesn't make any sense because even if she were to come back if they go to the warehouse and, she, and they, she shows up there. It's not like she's expecting them to be there. So I don't know. And so Hartley agrees. You know, they'd have the element of surprise. Keon says that, well, if you won't rescue Mark, then I will. And, and, you know, she doesn't even have powers. And Hartley's like, wow, like, looks like the new kid has more bravery than the rest of us put together. So then he's like, okay, count me in. Jacko's like, all right, me too. And Goldface is like, you got to be kidding. He's like, fine, we'll go rescue your six-pack blondie. Joe asks Cecile, you know, how did she find Mark if she wasn't even looking for him, and she doesn't know. So it feels like the more she uses her powers, the more they grow, and so she wants to go back out and, you know, try to help some more. But he's like, you you need to rest. At CCPD, they're uh, attaching equipment to like a satellite, uh, and uh, Kramer tells Ryan, you know, trying to hack their satellite is a waste of time, because with their latest security update, you know, it came from Argus, whatever. (laughs) Ryan clicks the button, you were (laughs) saying, So it's just like that. Somehow she gets in. Uh, so they start it. Then Ryan's like, "Now that's what I call an upgrade." And then she tells Kramer that she should be thanking her. The criminals in this world have free reign. So if they go unpunished for you know too long, soon um, you know she's so she can put an end to that. So soon she'll have eyes and ears everywhere. So she's like, "I will be judge, jury, and executioner." And so somehow the satellite. Is making red like these red death statues like pop out of nowhere, and they're almost like these robot things. Are like welcome to new era of red death. Stay in your home. Justice is being served, and and the thing is, they're you know they're popping up all over the city, but they're they're literally like maybe three feet apart from each other, you know, just like like one's behind, one's next. It's it's just like they're so close together. Okay, on a computer, Chester says it looks like they're reservoirs of psychic energy. Because I guess his computer could detect that. It's like, man, what kind of filters do you have on here? I don't even understand. Red Death is getting stronger. Barry asks if he can figure out what's giving her to boost. And so he's like, oh, I'll go to my lab because he's probably got something there that can help. Keon comes in. She's like, okay, I'm ready to go. And Barry's like, you know, I appreciate it. He's like, you have no powers and you're literally just a few weeks old. He's like, you have no combat training and she's like well you know you wouldn't be responsible for me she's like i can take care of myself he's like yeah i know but you know you're part of the family she's like we already lost frost and and caitlin it's like we can't lose you too allegra and goldface are watching from outside the the lab flash jacko and hartley teleport inside so at first i'm like wait i thought and this is where i'm a little confused i feel like i missed something because I thought Allegra was teleporting him in. But there's, like, this blue cloud of smoke. I, I think, and I tried looking up. There's some of these smoke bombs that are, like, teleporting things. I don't understand how it works. And, and I, like I said, I feel like I missed something. So Hartley hears something. It's like, wait, does he have super hearing? So they, they go and run, and they, they find Mark hanging by chains. And Jack goes, like, this feels like it was too easy. You know, Red Death's been smart up until now. And Hartley's like, well, we have to get out of here. Then... Red Death comes, knocks Flash and the others down, and she's like, Flash, right on time. And it's like, why would she decide to come back now when she's at the, the police station doing whatever? So then she, like, pushes him down with, with her boot, and she's like, I just wiped out the last of your speed. I kept Mark alive to draw you in, and now you can't stop me. Soon the whole world will be under my watchful eye. So she's, she's like, I'm going to do what you should have done, eliminate all criminals by my rule of law. And the way she says this, she looks like she's completely deranged, so it's just like like wow. So she says, you know, all of this is his fault, and she's like, what, don't you remember? Let me refresh your memory. So she like snaps her fingers and then buries in the woods. So she brought his mind there to show how his greatest failure led to her biggest success. And then he's like, I know this place. And he sees Grodd just, like, standing there. So Barry's like, "Like, where's your tribe? You know, where's the other gorillas? And and because, you know, he's like, last time he saw him, he was going to find him. And, you know, because he was going to be a hero. He's like, Ryan, what'd you do? And, he, you know, he doesn't say anything. Grodd doesn't say anything. Because, like, after the crisis, you know, he and the other gorillas apparently lost their sentience. And they were scattered across Barry's world. So his grad agreed to help by amplifying her telepathic abilities. Like where did she, where did she get telepathic abilities? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't watching been watching Batwoman. I don't know if she has any. So he he helped amplify this her abilities or whatever. If she helps him find his tribe, but the the other weird thing that I don't understand about Batwoman, she's going on like how Barry should have you know do away with the villains and all this stuff. But she's only working with villains. So it's like, you're, I nah. do Barry that, you know, he has a son. He has to go protect him. Hartley's like, is like yeah, you're right. You know, if, if I'm going to die, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, with, with the the man I love. And Goldface leaves too. So everyone's taken off. Iris asks Keon how Mark is. You know, she, he's like, she's, they're in like the med lab part of, of Star Labs. And Keon says that he's stable but unconscious. She says that she feels so useless to the team. Iris is like, "But you're so valuable, to, you know, to them." And she says, "You just have to find your way." She's like, "Listen to your heart." And blah blah blah, whatever. Iris leaves. Keon tells Mark, she's like, you need to wake up." And she decides to give him a kiss, which is like weird. Like, where does that come from? A little bit of ice, icy smoke comes out of his mouth when, and then he like wakes up. So it's like, does does she have like super kissing powers or something? And where did this cold come from? Because his, I thought his cold come, came from his tech. Like, I don't think he's a meta. So then they just like look at each other. And she's like, she asks, like, did it just get cold in here? He's like, actually, I'm feeling kind of warm. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're, you're like still mourning over frost. And now this is like her, basically her sister. Joe comes, and talks to Barry, says that he's like, oh, you look just how I feel. And Barry asks, you know, he's like, how do we get here? He's he. So he he tells Barry that he has a gift of bringing out the the best in people, you know, Jacko Hartley and Goldface, And Barry's like, Oh yeah, if so, I learned it from you. And Joe's like, mm, maybe he's like, but he just, you know, he's run out of things that he could teach Barry. So he also realized that um, he doesn't need to protect Cecile, you know, with her powers growing. So he decides to tell Barry that he's like, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about moving out of central city, but he's like, Oh, it's okay. You know, we, we decided to stay, which is good because the team needs her. And Barry's like, well, we need you too. And Joe's like, Mm-mm. he's like i'm not a cop anymore he's like i'm not a meta he's like what am i doing here and and barry's like you know no one is more important to this team and this family than you think of all the heroes you've raised and inspired over the years he's like that's your superpower and joe says he's like well you know you've inspired me too you know as a parent because he's like you know you're a hero too and you know others will follow you follow and barry says that you know three years ago he taught Grodd how to be a hero So he has to do it again because he can't stop the Red Death without him. Then his computer beeps, telepathic signature detected. Chester's like, it's in the Serengeti. And Chester says that if he goes to try to talk to Grodd without his powers, he could kill him. And Joe's like, not if Barry's right about Grodd. (laughs) So Joe's just like, yeah, sure, go ahead, take the risk. So Barry uses a smoke bomb teleport thing, whatever, goes to the woods. Grod's just standing there, and then he turns around snarls at, at the Flash. He charges at him, and, you know, Barry just stands there because he doesn't know what to do, and Grod thinks, Flash, you finally came back after you abandoned Grod He talks in the third person, give Grod one reason why he shouldn't kill you right now. And Barry's like, because I need your help to save the world. So people are panicking in the city. There's this looter guy carrying this big TV. And then the Red Death thing is like, you violated the law. Psh, zaps him and kills him, I guess. Grodd asks, you know, why, why should Grodd help you? And, you know, you abandoned me. And Barry says that, you know, people are dying. He needs to stop helping Red Death. You know, he's like, you have to look in and, you know, you must have looked inside her mind. You know what she's capable of, you know. What will she do to you know you when when she's finished? Grad's like, I've been alone for three years. She's the only one that can help. You know, I have no other choice. Barry's like, there's always a choice. He's like, I'll help you find it. He's like, I just need you to be the hero that I know you are. Chester tells Allegra and Kion that there's a surge of psychic energy coming out of Africa mixed with speed force lightning? The satellite of the CCPD shorts out with the big sparks. Boomerang and Moomer, Murmur are still standing up there. It's like, have they been up there this whole time? They get like knocked back. Ryan screams, no, no, no. Then she sees that Kramer escaped through an air duct, I think. it's like, what? Then Ryan's like, Flash, I will bring justice to the world. She zips off. Where are you, Flash? Come face me. Flash zips in. You got your speed back already? She's like, that's impossible and Barry's like a long time ago I gave a gift to a friend today he returned the favor so he says that he took another or she says that he took another rogue away from her uh, why does he keep ruining her life you know she tries blasting but he ducks then they run around <laughs> then then uh, he comes at her and and kind of shoves her she throws some charged batterings and he makes he makes like a a flash speed force shield or something like that. He's like kind of blocking things. Then she swings like Spider-Man or something like that. And does this big k- kicks him. He goes flying. And she says that, you know, first she took his speed. Now she's going to take his life and justice will be served. But it's like, he's supposed to be a hero and you're only supposed to take out bad guys. So she gets ready to strike, but then a gold chain wraps around her wrist and, you know, he's like, we're the only ones that get to whoop on the flash. So Jacko zaps her with some fire. As she groans. Hartley zaps her with his green sound energy or whatever. She zaps him all with electricity. It's like, it will end. She charges up to attack, and then a battering hits her armor in the chest. Figure cheesily jumps through the smoke and lands. It's Batwoman. That should nullify your speed force long enough for me to see what you're really made of. Bring it on, bats. <laughs> So Ryan says that to it's, – so it's, it's Batwoman. And uh, older what older dimension, bring it on bats. They start fighting hand-to-hand. Uh, but it's weird because Red Death's not using any speed. So they're just, like, fighting, like, kind of normally. Then Red Death's like, you can't beat yourself. And Batwoman says that – it's like, oh, you're nothing but a bad hair day or something like that. And she's like, plus, I don't have to beat you because I'm not alone. So she does this, like, roundhouse kick. Then Barry zips by – and removes some parts of her armor. And she's, like, left with, like, this scared and, like, shocked look on her face. Then she screams like a freak. And she gets punched out by a Batwoman. And she's like, now stay down. And then she's like, nice move, Flash. Sorry, I'm late. And Hartley says, like, that's not late. That's making an entrance. It's like, come on. This is a dialogue we're, we're talking about. Then she's like, wait a minute. I thought you were the bad guys. And Goalface like, so did we. <laughs> So Flash thanks him. Jack goes like, anytime. And Hartley's a like, well, not anytime. Jack goes like, anytime. And Hartley's like, fine. Batwoman says that uh, you know, she's never been to Central City. <laughs> she's like, is it always this crazy? Barry kind of shrugs, well. And then Hartley, Jack, and Goldfist all say, it's a Wednesday. And they all like weirdly laugh at this. Like, <laughs> like laughing and pointing at each other. Like, what what is going on? At Star Labs, Chester's telling Batwoman, "Oh, you're so dope. Your level of badassness is so beyond." Blah blah blah. I was just like that. It's like oh, you are such a dork. Ryan asks, "You know, how did Barry get his speed back?" And he says that three years ago, he gave a spark to a sentient gorilla, and it was still inside his mind. So they ask if Grodd is a good guy now, and Barry says he thinks so, and he's like more determined to find his tribe. Chester's like, "You know, we've recalibrated the satellites to search for him twenty four 7 So I guess you just toggle a switch, and it's like, okay, sentient gorilla detector, boop, turned on. Ryan says that she's got to go back to Gotham, so she thanks all of them, especially Iris. I'm a big fan of your work. (laughs) And Iris is like, really? I actually had to pause the show and and laugh at this part. Like, are you serious? Are you serious? And I was like, wow, I mean, likewise. (laughs) It's like, no, you're not a fan of Batwoman. No one's a fan of Batwoman. Unfortunately, sadly, sorry, that's why the show got canceled. (laughs) No one was watching. (laughs) Uh, Cecile later talks to Joe. She feels some anxiety anxiety off him. And he says that today Barry reminded him, you know, the most meaningful thing that he's ever done, that's being a parent. So he has a chance to do that one more time, and he just wants to get it right. So she's like, you are doing it right, and he's like, you know, there's so much stress in their lives that he wants to shield Jenna from that. So she's like, you still want the family to move, and he's like, not the whole family. He's like, just me and Jenna, and she's like, he's like, hear me out. He's like, you're, you know, you're the hero Team Flash needs right now. He's like, I can't ask you to turn your back on that. She can come to the country in the weekends. That way, they'd have her all to themselves. So apparently crime takes a rest on the weekends say they'd have more time together than they do now you know there'd be no alarms or no one else and she's like that sounds perfect which i just whatever two weeks later so they're like all together at at joe's playing cards Is big farewell to, to joe but not jenna so i guess she doesn't count then they make a toast he thanks them all for coming Uh, He knows the city is in great hands, not just Barry's, you know, all of them. He feels blessed to leave behind such a legacy. He knows he's going to be seeing them every day. You know, he's like, know this. He's like, I love you. If you ever forget that, I'm just a phone call away. Then Mark kind of excuses himself. You know, Barry goes to check on him. He's sitting on the stairs. And Barry's like, you know, I'm glad you're feeling better. Mark thanks him for coming back for him. And he's like, I'm not sure I deserve to be here. Barry's like, like, well, you know, like I told you before, you're one of us, your family. You deserve to be here just as much as any of them. Allegra, meanwhile, talks to Chester and, uh, you know, now, now that the rogue thing's over, you know, they they decide they can talk. So she's like, so that was the best kiss I've ever had. And he's like, hmm. He's like, then I, I guess there's only one thing to do. Smooch. Everyone's like staring from uh, the other side of the room. And Barry's like when did this happen? Iris is like, maybe the better question is, what took so long? And then Iris gets lightheaded, and she's like, oh, she's like, I'm not sure what's happening. And Keon's like, like, oh, I know, you're pregnant. And she's like, oh, you didn't know? Oh, sorry. Congratulations. So she's finally pregnant. And that's the end of the episode. See, like, you could have ended it right there, kind of. Oh, goodness. I'm it's it's so tempting and I'm not you know I laugh when I talk about the show and I don't mean it in a mean way and you know that the acting you know they they do a good job and everything you know I like the characters the actors but the writing sometimes they're being forced to say this and you know they're being directed to do certain things and it's just it's just a bit much so I am tempted to stop but I feel like I shouldn't stop because there's not much left I don't know. Wish I could do like an insta-vote. <laughs> tell, tell me, should I keep doing The Flash? I don't know. Okay, then with Star Wars, The Bad Batch, season two, episode 12, The Outpost. This this was a good episode. Uh, it's weird. It focuses on Crosshair. Crosshair was never like my favorite character because I feel like he's just kind of cheesy plus the fact that he's like bad. But this episode and the other one with him, I feel like they've been the stronger of the episodes, the seasons. So there's like this Imperial base Crosshair is kind of like standing around some clone troopers, like out of armor being led somewhere. They talk about their retirement or forced retirement, whatever. One's like, what are we supposed to do now? Whatever. And this, you know, lady officer, she's says, uh, you know, direct any concern to the Imperial information bureau. And this dude comes up to him crosshair and he's like, you're out of uniform. So he just like stands, uh, you know, straight. Cause he's leaning against something and he just puts on his helmet the dude says, I am Lieutenant Nolan, your commanding officer for this mission. So we are going to an Imperial Depot on button four. High value cargo stored there has been targeted by local insurgents. We are to secure it until it's transferred at week's end. And then uh, they're like getting ready to go. He kind of scoffs at some other clones and Crosshair's like, problem, sir. I don't like to use equipment. So this guy's just like such a like prissy dork. Typical Imperial officer, right? They get to their planet. It's, like, snowy and windy. There's ice vultures in the sky, according to closed caption, when they're, like, shrieking. And they they go inside this building. There's, like, these droids doing some stuff. Lieutenant Nolan, he's, like, annoyed. He's, like, where is your supervisor? This bearded clone comes around the corner. He's, like, oh, you must be our reinforcement. We expected you 36 rotations ago. Did you get lost? Nolan's, like... We work on the Empire's schedule, trooper, not yours. And he's like, it's Commander, Lieutenant. So sarcastically, he's like, well, Commander, your orders were to guard and protect this facility and its cargo, yet this cargo is grossly unguarded. Where are the rest of your men? And he's like, dead. Hex, Vetch, and me are all that's left. Nolan's like, your failings will be dealt with later, for now I am in charge until the cargo is transported. So the commander's like, I feel safer already. And Nolan says, look here, clone. You speak to me with respect. And uh, the clone's like, in my experience, respect is something to be earned. And he's like, yet the Empire assigned you to this desolate rock where you let the majority of your squad get killed. And he's like, tell me, Lieutenant, how many missions have you commanded? And Nolan's just like silent. That's what I thought. So he tells the other two, he's like, oh, why don't you help the new boss get situated? So Crosshair just like stays behind with uh, the commander. And then the, he's like, do you know the lieutenant well? And Crosshair's like, for about two hours. And he's like, two hours too long, I bet. He's like, what'd you do to get stuck with this mission? And he's like, just lucky, I guess. So commander chuckles. He says his name is Mayday. And there's a long pause. And then Crosshair's finally like, Crosshair. So Mayday shows Crosshair around, says that they've been stationed there for about a year. Now, you know, they'll get to move out soon. And Crosshair asks who's been raiding them. Mayday says it's just locals, raiders. He's like, last few caught them off guard. And Crosshair asks, you know, how did they get past the sensors? You know, they're walking outside. And Mayday says the weather has degraded their equipment. He kind of like bangs on a little bit. He requests a replacement, but they got none. Yet they're told to protect his cargo at all costs. Crosshair is like, why? He's like, what's in those crates? And Mayday's like, I've wondered every day. Apparently, it's above a clone trooper's pay grade. So this Crosshair starts to go off, and Mayday's like, Oh, don't go too far, you know, or alone. It's so like you'll freeze in that armor. And then they hear like an ice vulture, and then you know, Mayday comments how nasty they are. Then they hear blaster fire over the comms. So raiders are attacking. They split up to, to cut off the raiders from like you know, on the other side of the base. So Crosshair goes up to his tower and looks in his scope and he puts on his like helmet scope thing and he uses like thermal vision. He sees a Raider like run around this like shuttle and with like a clone chasing him or something like that. Then there's an explosion and it hurts like Crosshair's eye because it's so bright. He tries shaking it off, you know, with his helmet off. And then he looks back through the scope and like through the smoke, he sees someone running and he shoots. At first I was like, did he shoot the right person? How's he, how can he tell? He goes down, sees like a blood trail follows it there's like you know tracks in the snow blood leads to a cave then he hears something and he sees another clone so he says that a skiff came and that they've gone the other must have gone the other way so crosshair is like wrong and then someone else comes up and it's mayday and so he slides down he he sees it during this time he's like so that's how they've got past our defenses mayday um sets a fallen trooper's helmet next to the other dead trooper helmets and then Nolan comes in complaining that they're just standing around. He's like, those raiders just stole two crates of cargo during that attack. He's like, send your troops to retrieve it. And he's like, Hex and Vetch were killed in the ambush. We don't have the manpower or gear to go beyond the perimeter, especially just to recover a few crates. Nolan says it's not up to him to determine what's of value to the Empire. He's like, then I need all your men for this mission. And he's like, and leave the outposts vulnerable to attack? I think not. The task falls to you two and you two alone. Recover that cargo. Is that clear? And he's like, yes, lieutenant. So Mayday and Crosshair go into the tunnel. They see the blood. They come across a dead body. And Mayday says that he's not sure what bothers him more, that he's wearing armor from his dead men or that his cohorts just left him there. And Crosshair's like, no point carrying dead weight. And Mayday's like, remind me not to die in your watch. So then there's like some rumbling overhead. They're like, oh, maybe it's just the ice. They continue, and then Crosshair st- steps on a pressure mine. And then Mayday's like, what was that about dead weight? <laughs> so Crosshair's like, can you disarm it? Mayday's like, uh, like, I'm not really a demolitions expert, but I'll give it a shot. And he's like, it beats carrying your body back to the base. So it's he's like it's different what he's used to, but it's probably the same. You know, he wishes he had the proper equipment for this, but the Empire has ignored all his requests. So then he starts to improvise. So he's like kind of bending, you know, banging some metal over to keep the, the the pressure down. To you know whatever. He says that he never thought about the war ending until it did. He asks Crosshair, "What is what unit he was with?" He's like, "It doesn't matter." He's like, "Humor me. I could use his distraction." So Crosshair finds like Clone Force ninety nine. And Mayday's like, what happened to them? And he's just like, they're gone. So Mayday says, you know, maybe they're survivors, but, you know, there they are. They're combat troopers, babysitting equipment. Crosshair's like, mission's a mission. And Mayday says he used to say the same thing. Uh, Mayday, um, so he hammered down the edges of these little metal bracket things. And then he tells Crosshair, he's like, don't lift your foot until I'm around to the bend. He's like... Okay, so he doesn't really trust that it's going to work. So he does it, he goes, it works. They continue, and then uh, they reach the surface on the other side. They see this little structure, like, nearby. Crosshair uses a scope. It looks like there's only six people in there and, like, two garden entrances, but there's I'm pretty sure there's way more than six. Mayday says that, he's like, oh, that shouldn't be a problem for us. So they quietly take out the two guards at pretty much the same time. Then they throw a stun grenade that shocks a few, and then they start shooting. One hops on a skiff with, like, the crates, and he takes off. Crosshair shoots him in in the head, which was because it's kind of crazy. You don't expect that. Lots of shooting. So, again, I'm sure there's way more than six Raiders. They kind of get pinned behind this, like, rock, like they're kind of ducked. Crosshair sees some mines sitting on top of a crate, and so he shoots them, blows up. Then uh, the explosion causes like the cliffside to crumble. So Mayday uh, suggests they load the cargo and get out of there. They remove their helmets and see like the open crates. It's gear. Mayday says that they've been risking their lives guarding equipment that they could have been wearing this whole time. And Crosshair flips like, you know, one around on his foot. He's like, it's not clone trooper gear. So Mayday's like, right. He's like new toys for the shiny new military and we get the scraps. He's like, after all the clones have done, all we've sacrificed, we're good soldiers, we followed orders, and for what? There's more rumbling. It's avalanches coming now. So Mayday's like, go. They start running. Mayday says, he's like, look out. He kind of shoves crosshair, and they like kind of fall behind this rock. He has to dig, climb his way out of the snow. He sees something like further down. He trudges to it. He starts digging, and it's Mayday. And he's like, Mayday. He's like, you got to wake up. He's like, we have to go. Mayday's like just go. He's like I won't make it. Crosshair puts Mayday's helmet on on him and like helps him like trudge through the snow, like they just like storm and wind and everything like that. It's like do they have a long way to go because they, they the tunnel's probably buried that they went to, so they probably have to like go around. They stop by this rock or whatever, and Crosshair just kind of shivers next to Mayday. So I think there's an camp out there. In the morning, more walking. Imperial ships are flying overhead, so they must be close. Cargo is being moved out. Nolan is checking off crates as they get loaded Some troops, Crosshair and Mayday walk up They're like, you know, kind of surprised And they stop and look Nolan goes up to look He's like, step aside, step aside And he you know, pushes away through the crowd Nolan sees them And he turns around and tells the others He's like, get back to work and load those crates He's like, all of you Mayday like collapses And and then Nolan's like, about time you two return Crosshair's like, he needs a medic He's like, I see you didn't retrieve the crates, which means you have failed your mission. And Crosser's like, did you hear what I said? Help him. Nolan's like, certainly not. That would be a waste of the Empire's resources. And Crosser's like, he'll, he'll die. Mayday kind of groans. He coughs, and then he dies. <laughs> Nolan's like, he served his purpose with, as a soldier of the Empire. He starts kind of like walking, whatever. He's like, you, you could have saved him. And Nolan's like, perhaps you didn't hear me. He is expendable, as are you. And if you speak to me again with such disrespect, I'll see to it you meet a similar fate. Clone. And he's like, now leave him and get back to work while you're still useful. Then Crosshair stands. Lieutenant. And then pew. Starring run up. They're like, hey, drop it. And he just like falls flat. So at the hospital... Crosshair wakes up That one lady I don't know remember She was a doctor She's like some Administrator or whatever And she's like Hello CT 9904 Or do you prefer Crosshair So he's like Where am I And she says That they're holding him For observation Once he's clear The doctor will come to him Cooperate And he might survive And then she injects him And then he passes out So Yeah This uh, It's obviously This other cloning Venture That they're trying to do so uh, I don't know if, what they're gonna use if they're are they just using volunteers? We'll see so like I said that was a good episode and uh, I feel weird bad saying that because you know we didn't have the the others in there but speaking of facts okay with uh, Mandalorian season three episode 2 the Minds of Mandalore. So this episode was definitely an improvement from the first. One from last week's episode. Last episode was was good. Just it was just set up. You know, there wasn't a whole lot that happened. So it starts out there's like tattooing. We see like some racing through the streets or something like that. Peli Mato talks as Rodian. I, I don't like her. I don't I think she's funny, the, the character, whatever, just snarkiness. She's like working some deal about, you know, she's basically screwing this guy over, like scamming him. And, you know, because he, he needs a part for his vehicle. She's like, well, we can rush it, you know, but she needs to be paid half up front. You know, Boonta Eve's coming up. So he leaves. And then she has Jawas coming with the parts, you know, when he leaves. So I think they stole a part off of his speeder or whatever like that because she's like, oh, just paint it so it looks different. And then they're going to attach it back. So it's like there's it just seems so bad. Mandalorian arrives in a starship. Grogu does this huge leap out of cockpit into her arms. And cause she's like, Oh, where'd you learn that? Whatever Mando says that he's there in business. He needs a droid part. He needs a replacement IG memory circuit. So she calls in the Jawas and they say they don't have those parts. And she tries selling him her R5, the R5 V4. And he's like, I don't need an astromech droid. I need one rated for spelunking. And he says he needs a droid who can explore ahead of him and test the atmosphere, make sure it's safe to breathe. Then R5 like backs up, and she's like, oh, but it was, this one was built for adventure. And he's like, I have no room for an astromech. She's like, well, I can reinstall the droid port, and the little guy can be your co-pilot. And since it's Boonta Eve, I'll even sell the droid at half price and throw in an oil bath. So it's like, why is she trying to get rid of R five D four so so much? So R five is like super nervous. Is they're about to leave? She tells Mando not to rely on it too much, even. But she just said it was built for adventure. So, so I just I don't know. They approach Mandalore, and he tells Grogu about the history of the planet, how it used to shine. But he says, you know, he's never actually been there either. Man, but And then he's like, a Mandalorian needs to understand maps. And he has to know your, your way around, so you're never lost. So he keeps, like, constantly like, trying to teach Grogu, like, different things. Like, this is how you follow your ship and whatever. So they go through, like, this massive storm. And they descend. Finally, it clears up. They're closer to the surface. He says uh, it looks like the fusion bombs from the purge disrupted the magnetic fields of the planet. So from the surface, they won't be able to communicate with anyone out of the atmosphere. So they'll have to be careful. They'll be completely cut off from the rest of the galaxy. And we see there's just like huge craters and like molten spikes on the surface. Mando asks R5 if he's ready because he needs him to scout ahead and analyze the atmosphere. So he tells him to go over to split in a rock and take an air sample from the ruins below. R5 is like super hesitant. He's like, don't be a baby. And Grogu kind of whimpers too. So Mando tells him, he's like, you know, you can watch on the scope. And then he disappears off the radar. So it's like something happened to R5. So Mando tries calling him, whatever. He's like, he's just, it's probably just interference. So he, then he tells Grogu, he's like, fine. He's like, I'll go I'll pressurize the helmet. So he tells Grogu to seal himself in his pod, opens the canopy, heads out, and then then he closes it. Like right away, Grogu comes out. So it's like it the, the canopy... Like repressurize or whatever that quickly so mando enters his cave he sees like the remains of some structures and then something jumps out and attacks him and there's like i think these three beings mando shoots like one of them uh, the two others swarm on him he tries he shoots the second one. Third one sw- swings like the stick mace thing or whatever knocks a blaster out of his hand and then the, it, you should get like some attachments because people are constantly like getting their losing their guns he pulls out the dark saber but since it's like heavy whatever it seems like you know there's a little kind of knocking around he's not able to use it so much he stabs one in the leg with like a dagger then slashes it across the chest with the saber and then the second one lunges at him and mando makes it like fly over the, the ledge the third one hits him from behind he like kicks its leg to bring it to his knees and then he impales it then he tosses him over as well so mando hears r5 and he like Write some, you know sets them back up and he's like let's get back to the ship so he asks for an analysis on the atmosphere and he's like the charts were wrong the air is breathable he's like Bo Katan was right Mandalore is not cursed so Mando and Grogu Grogu's in his like flying pod thing they set off they head back to the cave he pulls out his blaster just in case tells Grogu that the that structure is a civic center so this is where Bo Katan said to go. So he Jumps down. He slows his descent with his backpack. He says they're going down a long way. And there's, like, some creatures, like, hissing here and there or whatever like that. Uh, You know, uh, Grogu is just, like, floating down in his pod. So Mando says that the waters should lead down to the living waters of the mind. And they get to this passage that leads down. He sees this, like, kind of T-shaped hole in the ground. He brushes away some dirt, and it's, it's a helmet it turns out it's a trap because these mechanical jaws pop out of the ground around him and like encases him. Then he grows cause he's groans cause he's like pinned in there. And then there's this like robotic beeping from this like droid. And then it, it like walks away and then Grogu like slowly follows. Mando's vision is like blurry. Grogu gets out of his pod and like sneaks his way closer. The, the droid thing drops Mando off and, you know, sets him down. It like kind of kisses like, and, uh, the top opens up then this other like smaller like spider-like kind of droid crawls out and it's it almost in some ways kind of looked a little bit like general grievous but not really because there's this and on its head there's like a a round like display and there's like an eye in there it's like i don't know if there's an actual eye in there or what it is but it it comes out it's it stands up and it goes to the cage removes a Mandalorian's blaster and his saber and just drops him on the ground. So, yeah, it's like I don't think uh, Grievous would just drop the black saber or whatever. So it walks away. and Grogu, like, scurries over. He, you know, raises his hand to use the force. The cage starts vibrating, but then it, like, clanks loudly, and the droid thing, like, hears it. So Mando's like, go get Bo-Katan. And then the droid uh, insect thing turns and shoots out an electricity blast from its staff, but grogu jumps up as a blast hits the ground, he lands in his pod, he hits a control, it turns around and zips out of there. So the creature tries uh, this other creature tries snapping at him as it goes by. He flies up to the surface. He's at the entrance, you know exit, or whatever the cave, and another one of those big creatures like jumps out at him. Grogu lets out this like little noise. And then he, he like sits up straight. And we see from the outside, creature goes flying back out of the cave. And then Grogu exits with his hand raised. R5, like, beeps at him. And then he leaps into the cockpit, points uh, to the control screen. And then, like, this, like, flying thing smashes against the cockpit. And they, they just lift off. At Bo-Katan's palace, her service droid approaches. Your Majesty, an unscheduled visitor. So... It's almost like she seems to be sitting Just like feeling sorry for herself So she gets up out of like her throne thing And she goes to the window She sees Mandalorian's Starfighter She's like let's get rid of him once and for all Starfighter lands She walks up to it Maybe I didn't make myself clear last time She's like I want to be left alone Canopy opens and it you know, looks like it's empty But then Grogu's head pops up Bo-Katan looks at him She's like what happened to him Grogu obviously can't tell her Because he can't really speak so she like looks at her droid. She's like, "Download the Astromech. Find out, you know, where they were." Then she takes off in her ship with Grogu and R5 next to her. They fly down to Mandalore. She looks at the surface, ravaged cities. She tells Grogu, "She's like, it didn't always look like this." And they land, and she's like, "Okay, kid. I'm gonna need you to guide me to him." She's like, "Can you do that?" And he's like, rah. They exit. R5 watches from the ship monitor. They get to the cave entrance. She takes off her helmet when they get to the civics center area and she's like, This was once a beautiful civilization. it's like, my family ruled it all. Now it's a tomb. So she's like, let's go. She puts her helmet back on, descends, they walk. Grogu seems like kind of scared and, and stops. And she says that she knows that he's frightened, but you know, he needs to guide her to the Mandalorian, you know, to Din. Grogu turns this pod light on and then continues. She says that She's like, I knew a few Jedi. She's like, I- I'm not sure what they taught you, but you know, there was a time we actually got along quite well. And we fought side by side, and she's like, How good are you with the Force? You know, you must be pretty good to you know, you, you got back here, you you got or got to her like all alone. She looks across the cavern, pushes you know the pot away. She pr- approaches the wall slowly, and then she shoots several times. Two big creatures like fall down from the hole. She shoots at one, sends out a cable, binds the other's feet. She blocks, like, with this force shield, you know, thing, or like a, like a force field shield, whatever, on her arm. She takes him down. She looks at Grogu. And she's like, did you think your dad was the only Mandalorian? And Grogu just babbles. So she says that those were Alamites. Then they were supposed to be their next meal. So they used to live in a surface wastelands beyond the city. So if they survive, she wonders what else Has too. Mando's still trapped in his cage. The droid thing injects him with this needle, and then this machine starts like pumping out his blood, I guess. So it's like painful. He's like, so then the pot, the the pump gets shot. Bo Katan comes in. The droid shoots at her with his electricity staff, you know, does it a couple times. She's kind of down, but then she um, she sees the dark saber and she ignites it. She blocks the blast, raises her shield, blocks and impales the, the creature, and she's like, Din, are you okay? And uh, she, like the the droid thing's eyes kind of flickers back on. So it's like, is there something in there? I don't know. The head detaches. Bo Katan tells Din that she's going to get him out of there. He's like trying to talk. And he's like, I you. So the, the head must have connected to the giant robot, whatever, torso thing. It moves towards Bo Katan. Then with the darksaber, she like chops off some of its legs you know she slides under it slashes on the knees slice 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 then that, finally the eye flickers off and she goes to mando and he like blacks out so she's sitting with grogu like making a meal in this like little can and mando finally comes through and asks like what happened she's like i saved your life how did you find me she's like your kid he's tougher than he looks and he's quite the navigator So Din's like, thank you for rescuing me. You are right. Mandalore is not cursed. She's like, was I? She kind of looked, you know, she's like, look around. There's nothing left. A great society is now a memory. She's like, I once ruled here for a brief time. Now it's destroyed. There's nothing to cling to but ashes. She gives him the drink meal thing or whatever. And he's like, what is it? And she's like, you've never eaten pot. soup or pot I forgot what it was and he's like no she's like well then you'll appreciate the irony he slips a cup like beneath his helmet without removing it whatever and she's like any Mandalorian worth their armor was raised on us since they you know were Grogu size he moves to get up and she's like you should rest and she's like "I'll I'll get you back to my ship soon enough he just picks up Grogu he's like I'm not going with you puts Grogu in his pod and she's like what are you talking about He's like, I must continue to the minds of Mandalore so that I may be redeemed. She just kind of shakes her head. She's like, I honestly think it's adorable that you actually believe these children's stories, but there's nothing magic about the waters. He's like, without the creed, what are we? What do we stand for? Our people are scattered like stars in the galaxy. The creed is how we survived. You rescued me and I'll always be in your debt, but I can't go with you until I fulfill my obligation. So then she's like, I- I'll take you. He's like, to the living waters? She's like, yes, you'll never find them on your own. She's like, not in all this wreckage. He's like, thank you. She's like, don't thank me until you see them. They walk through more destruction. He says it's hard to believe that this was once filled with all of their kind. And she's like, it wasn't that long ago. She's like, you'd never know, you know, looking at all this destruction. He's like, it it looks like it's been centuries. She says that the empire set out to punish them to wipe away their memory so he's like it must pain you to see it like this after witnessing its beauty she's like what pains me is seeing our own kind fight one another time and time again killing each other for reasons too confusing to explain so she's like it made us weak you know we had no choice you know resisting getting smashed by the empire they reach the entrance to the mines of mandalore he says that this area looks much older and she says that the mines have been there for thousands of years the living waters are in the chambers below He's like, have you been there? And she said yes when she was a child. He's like, really? She's like, I was part of the royal family. I took the creed and was showered with gifts. But the rituals were all just theater for our subjects. They loved watching the princess recite the Mandalorian, whatever, tenets, as her father looked on proudly. He was such a heartwarming spectacle. He's like, maybe he was proud. She's like, I know he was. She's like, I didn't embarrass him in front of everyone. And then it's like, your father sounds like an interesting man. I would have liked to have known him. She's like, he was a great man. He died defending Mandalore. And then Mando stops. She's like, this is the way. And then he continues. They reach the water. And she's like, hold on. She's like, I want you to get the full tour. So she reads this like plaque thing. These mines, date back to the age of the first Mandalore. According to ancient folklore, the mines were once a mythosaur lair. Mandalore... The Great is said to have tamed the mythical beast. It is from these legends that the skull signet was adopted and became the symbol of our planet. And she's like, "This is it." So he stands at the edge. Bo-Katan comes up to him. She's like, "Din, are you all right?" And he just like starts taking. You know, he takes off like his cape, his blaster, and his jetpack. He starts walking in. I swear on my name and the names of the ancestors that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore and that the words of the creed shall be forever forged in my heart. And then he goes like under. So, Bolkatan puts on her helmet, dives in, and she uses her jetpack to like push her faster. So, it's like, how did he disappear so fast? Something snatch him. So, finally, she finds him like at the bottom and after like going down, you know, a bit then she sees this like huge creature as she like carries him up they fly out of water and they land with a a thud and then he like he gasps and he chokes and then that's like where it ends i don't know what that was about but there's like something living down there i mean it is a living waters i guess right so is is that is that enough did he he bathe in the waters of the Mandalore? is he is he back to being a mandalorian again and that's all it took. I mean, yeah, it was a, a a bit of an ordeal, but normally it wouldn't have been that much of an ordeal. I don't know, but it was still good. Uh, I'm I'm liking Bo-Katan more and more. I, I think she's you know she's really she was a badass in this episode, so it was cool to to see live action bo you know, move about. So still waiting for Sabine. We'll we'll see. So I I, I enjoyed that. Okay, then Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario. I, I enjoyed this episode, and um, I, I don't know what it is. I, I feel maybe because, I, I've, I may have said this before, but maybe because I'm not like a diehard, you know, true Star Trek fan. I don't know, because I, I, I was following some people on Twitter before. I don't know if I still am, but like some people just, again, it's that like bitterness. It seems like they just hate everything. Some people hate like all the new Star Trek stuff, all the new Star Wars stuff, all the new Marvel stuff. It's like, what what is it? What do you want? I mean, I don't understand like just a hate for stuff. I've been like watching all this stuff for decades. You know, I'm 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 not a spring chicken anymore. And I, I don't understand why I can be entertained by all this stuff. So many people are just so angry about everything, and so I don't know. You know, and a lot of people will throw around like, "Oh, this is woke," and and what? And I don't even say the whole thing about being woke. Woke is like you're you're awake. It's like, how's that a bad thing? I don't know. But anyways, with Star Trek: Picard. Starts so out five years, and so there, yeah, there were a couple of cheesy things in here, but I, I, I enjoyed the episode. So five years ago, like some bar, Picard's like eating. Some cadets come up to him. And they want to ask him about the hero gen, because he wrote about it in a book, and apparently they're wondering how the Alpha tracked him down. Is this, this other asked how they were able to get into quadrant, and you know how did he get away? And he's like, well, I'm not one for stories, but they're like, well, we'd love to hear from, you know, the man himself. You know, how'd you get away? So Picard says that, you know, luckily Lieutenant Commander Worf cleverly set up a deadfall trap. So when the the Alpha advanced, the hunter turns to prey. And he tells them they they should remember, no matter how bleak or unwinnable a situation, as long as you and your crew remain steadfast in your dedication to each other, you are never, ever without hope. It's like a little cheesy present day titan is falling engines are down they're like at nine percent power if they put everything to the warp they they kind of risk a meltdown what you know the engines and all this like that they're falling deeper into the gravity well if they divert everything to life support they'll have a few hours at best then there's like the super bright light on the screen and, and there's kind of like a, another crash so it's like a, another bioelectric wave it's, so it's destroying their shields Riker tells them just lower the shields so then Riker goes to Picard because Picard's in his room. So they, they kind of apologize to each other. But Riker, he, he's, he's like, I'm doing this as a courtesy. And Picard's like, what? Well, he's like, just, just stop. He tells him to stop talking. He says the Titan is dead in the water. They estimate they have about four hours until they're crushed by the gravity well. But they'll run out of life support before then. So he, he tells Picard he was right. Then he mentions that when they buried his son, he watched a coffin being lowered into ground. It was only six feet, but it was so dark, you know, just an infinite emptiness. He's like, they both traveled to the far reaches of space. And he's like, and there's, there's nothing to prove that there's anything after. It's like, you know, he tried to shake that. Deanna feels everything, but she couldn't live with him feeling nothing. And neither could he. So when he came here, you know, he was running from it. You know, he's like, this is the end, my friend. You know, if, if I were you, I'd take the next few hours and get to know your son and get your affairs in order. He's like, I'm so so sorry. Seven is searching for the, the changeling. She has a phaser in hand and she finds a transport officer. He's dead. So the changeling took his, his place. So, you know, he could look like anyone else. She tells Riker and he says that they need to keep this quiet and she's kind of taken aback. And he's like, well, you know, morale is already down. And he's like, she's like, there's a saboteur on the ship. He's like, yeah, but if the changeling's mission was to deliver Jack to Vatik, it failed. You know, crippling them further won't accomplish anything. So he's not saying do nothing. He's just saying, you know, keep it quiet. He, and he's like, I could reinstate you, but you remaining in an unofficial capacity could work to, you know, their advantage. So then she like walks around and she's just kind of like looking at everyone. At the Med Bay, um, Beverly's like counting down, like, and you know she's starting like at ten, or whatever, and then, then when she gets to one, there's a another crash. So Picard comes in, and he says that he knows time is precious, but he'd like a moment or two with Jack. Shaw is like sharpening a blade in his room, he, he doesn't, you know, someone's like beeping at the door, he doesn't want to answer, but then finally he relents. It's seven, and he's like, nice job, your, your friends are doing with the ship. He's like, I love the view. And she's like, can we talk? He's like, officially, no. And she's like, unofficially? He's like, no. She says that there's a problem, there's a changeling on board, and based on the, the state of the body from the, the due date they found, it was uh, on board before they brought Dr. Crusher and her son. So she's like, something bigger is happening here. And as much as it pains her, they have a major personnel problem, and no one knows a ship better than he does. Riker, he wants to record a, a private message for Diana on the computer. He's like, in the event that the Titan is somehow recovered, and he's like, Deanna, like, I want you to know, I want you. Then he like pauses the recording because he, he doesn't know what to say. Picard takes Jack to the holodeck, and you know he makes his bar. This is like, the, up here, he's like, it's a real sig- of significance to him. You know, would he like to have a drink with him? And Jack's like, sure. So Picard, he's like, oh, there's something from my own backyard. And Jack's like, ah, no offense. He's like, I'm not really a wine guy. So Picard's like, whiskey, and Jack's like, yeah, preferably cheap. So Jack asks about, he's like, well, what about the energy for the holodack? You know, because if they're trying to conserve energy, Picard says that it runs on a small independent source for this very reason. In times of stress, it can be a kind of sanctuary. So Jack finally says that he's like, oh, so we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And he's, so Picard looks at him. He's like, the hair, when did it go? So Picard's like, you're 23, 24. Enjoy it while you can. Jack just kind of chuckles. So Picard says that he'd love to know more about his life, his childhood. You know, he's like, "It's your call." And Jack's like, "Well, I don't know where to begin." And Picard's like, "Perhaps you could start with the reason you decided not to get to know me." Jack like stares at him. He's like, "Actually, there is something that might be of interest to you." There, were, you know, we were on this medical run, we got stuck in this cargo hold with this alien with a broken antenna, and I thought I could fix. So it's like basically he's trying to avoid the issue. It seems like Seven shows shot a dude who was replaced. They talk about the the changeling. He talks about how you just ask people something and when they answer wrong, boom, you know, changeling. She's like, Well, that would require, you know, great knowledge of the entire crew. And then he's like, We got off on the wrong foot. He's like, I underestimated you. You have great instincts, you're a natural leader. So you'll make a great captain someday. And she's like, looks at him. He's like, which is something I'd say and she's like, if you were a changeling and not just a dick and he's like now you're starting to catch on he's like but you're right trying to snuff out 500 people will be tough so he's like make them come to you you know it's hard for them to maintain their form it's like they need to rest in this pot so find a re- re- residue and get the ship to scan it and you can track them beverly is counting down again and light and the boom seven looks around she's searching through quarters looking in closets cases drawers and then she sees something like kind of behind this light she moves a panel. There's a pot there, just like what Shaw showed her on a tablet. We see the Shrike. It's still flying around the nebula. Vatic cuts her she cuts her hand off, and then it kind of melds into his face, and it like floats up, and it asks her to report. And she says, unfortunately, the ship faring Jack Crusher couldn't escape the gravity well. And then it's like, it tells her, pursue. And she's like, uh, no, it's like, that's not possible with our, the ship's payload and everything like that. She's like, it'd be suicide. The face said it would be suicide not to obtain the asset. And so it's like, everything, her, the ship, it's all expendable. And then she's like, I will pursue. And then the face falls, and then it reforms back onto her arm. So she orders the ship forward. And then, then she starts spinning in her in her chair, kind of like laughing a little bit. It's like... I don't know. Five years ago, Picard's still talking to the bar to cadets. He says that you know he should get back to his lunch. But then this another annoying cadet says that it's not official, but you know, I once heard you mention of an incident on a shuttle with your friend Jack Crusher. And so he said it was a navigational mishap. It was one of the worst situations I've ever been on. It was a no-win scenario. And uh Picard smiles. He's like, I was your age. So then present day, another officer comes in. Uh, to the, the whole deck, the bar. asked Picard, he's like, "Is this private?" And he's like, "No, no, no, come in." So then, some others come in. They just like sit, you know, sit around different tables. So Jack questions like all of this. He's like, "I'm not trying to be harsh." He's like, um, "Some people need to be part of something." He's like, "I don't." And Picard says that we all want to be connected. And he's like, "Look around." So he sees the others kind of comforting each other and stuff like that. Jack says, like, "He's like, I grew up mostly alone." He's like, "I had my mother, but..." that's just who I was. He's like, being on the outside suits me fine. And he's like, if you think this is a moment I need, Picard's like, I think that I need this. Beverly counts again, light. Seven has a pot. She's walking down the corridor. She's like talking to com. She needs a biochemistry lab ready to scan. She's told that it's been shut down to conserve energy. And she's like, well, open it. It's an emergency. There's this she passed by this, like these two crew crew members. The dude like shoots the lady that he's walking with. Turns and shoots at seven, but hits the pot. And then she shoots at him. Hits him in the shoulder. He kind of like snarls whatever, and his arm kind of starts reforming. She charges, or he he charges at her, and then she shoots him again, and he falls to the side. And he kind of liquefies. He sort of looks like like liquid bacon or something like that. And he like makes a, an escape like through like the walls or something like that. Jack. Asks, he's like, other than this, he's like, what's the worst situation you've been in? Picard says it actually involves Jack's namesake. And Jack's like, yeah, I've always wondered about that. He's like, I knew my mother didn't hate you, but naming me after her first husband? Picard says that Jack Crusher was once his very best friend at the Academy. He's like, truth be told, I would have named you the same. So he tells the story. He and Jack run leave. They met a couple of delightful and enthusiastic ladies. <laughs> They got called back to whatever Starfleet, but Picard came up with a plan to borrow a shuttle. He's like, you mean steel? He's like, to get laid. And Picard's like, borrow. He's like, and we had an invitation. So on the way back, they got caught by, or they got hit, it was a meteoroid storm, or something like that. So it hit them at high speed. Um, it wrecked the, wrecked the shuttle. They were blinded. They couldn't call uh, the main ship because they were disabled, they, or they disabled the comms. So they came up with a way to inch their way back home with no visuals. You know, so like with the thrusters, like little by little or something like that. So he's like, for 10 fudging, grueling hours. Then he asked Jack if his mother, because Jack's kind of looking at him. He's like, did your mother already tell you this story? Before he can answer, Shaw's like in there. He's like, oh, what a harrowing story. And he's like, oh, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt family times. He's like, did your old man ever tell you about the first time he and I first met? So he's like, and Picard's like looking at him like, what? He's like, USS Constance. He's like, the Battle of Wolf, 559, 40 federations, you know, starships went up against one Borg cube. He's like, you must have heard about this. He's like, I was just in engineering. I was a grease monkey. So, you know, they get attacked. He's like, 50 of us made it down. There's only one life pot, 10 seats. He's like, we were all friends. They were all his Jack Crusher. He's like, so they didn't fight over who got on. They just waited for orders. Then some lieutenant comes down and she was like, you, you, you. And she points to him. And he's like, why me? He's like, now he's lucky number 10. And, and, and she didn't count herself. And she's like, get in. That's an order. He's like, did she make a mistake? And J- J- Jack's like, uh, sorry, man. And then he's like, 11,000 dead. He's like, Did you know where your old man was on that day? He was on that Borg cube, setting the world on fire. He's like, They have a name for you, Locutus of Borg, the only Borg so deadly, they gave him a name. Jack's like, All right, that's enough. Picard's like, No, no. He's like, It's all right. I understand. He gets up and walks out. Jack follows him. All the others in the bar, they just kind of stare at Shaw. And he's like, oh, just forgive me. He's like, at some point, you know, being an a-hole became a, a substitute for charm. So basically, he's admitting, you know, he knows he's a jerk. But, you know, and it wasn't Picard's fault. He can't help it. Jack catches up with Picard. And Jack's like, you know, you don't have to explain that. Picard's like, oh, you know, just thank you for your time. You know, it meant a lot to me. Beverly comes up to him. She's like, There's a pattern. It's drawing in matter and expelling energy, and somewhere it's reconstituting the matter and it consumes. So they talk about like energy consumption being mathematic and the wavelengths of something or whatever. And, you know, but there's there's like something else. It's, there's like this countdown. It's just like contractions, like a birth. Picard says that he's like, They have to get out of there. Beverly, like, but we have no power. Jack's like, we do. When the wave hits, there's light. So maybe when the wave comes, they could plug into them. Picard's like, we could hit you right out of here. Riker, you know, they, they, they tell, talk to Riker about it, and he's like, it won't work, because they show him, like, a simulation or whatever like that. Riker says that to use a thruster would drain all life support, they say, but they'd absorb some of the energy and he's like, but they'd have to get through to asteroids. And Jack's like, well, you know, they could steer manually like Picard did. And Riker's like, yeah, I know that story too, kid. He's like, this is not a two-man shuttle. He's like, Starfleet Protocol says that we wait to be rescued. Picard's like, no one's coming for us. He's like, if they wait, they die there of suffocation. Riker's like, says, but at least they'd leave something behind. So it's a great idea, but there's a hundred things that could go wrong. He's like, he can't allow you know, certain death. And Beverly says, it's like, Deanna would say it was about trust. And she's like, look at us in this room. He's like, we, you know, we should do what we spent our lives learning to be great at. Riker kind of turns to leave and Picard's like, we've been here before, Will. And he's like, if this is the end, let's face it together doing what we know we're good at. Riker talks about some things that are supposed to be like shield energy, whatever. So if they open them, that they might be able to absorb the energy. He's like, okay, let's get to work. So he's convinced now. Riker talks to the crew, they plan to escape. It will require to draw on every bit of power. It's a heck of a risk. If anything goes wrong, they'll, they'll know pretty quick. So he gives us good speech about blah, 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 whatever. Picard and seven, they go to Shaw's room. Picard's like, I know I'm the last one you want to see, but we need your help. He's like, basically, uh, he's, uh, they you know, they start explaining stuff. Shaw's like, so none of the kids on the ship know how to hotwire the energy coils or something like that, so they need him because um, it's, Picard's like, they need an old grease monkey like you, because that's what he's like, call himself. Shaw and Seven are working on the engine. They both agree that this would be the best time for the changeling to attack. Seven decides to call Riker. They start transferring power. Riker tells everyone to take a, take a deep breath. Riker gives a comm over to, uh, to, to Picard since he's the one that's experienced flying blind. So he's back in control. The ship starts moving like through the asteroids. Shaw tells Seven to make sure the manual locks are off. Then um, she goes to check on it or to do, do, do it. Then LaForge comes in, but she was just on a bridge. So she's like, uh, could you use a hand? And he's like, looks at her. And he's like, because uh, he's like underneath, like working on it and stuff. He's like, I could use a torch. So she asks about the one thing that's open, and you know, then be able to fly, but not warp or something like that. Then Seven, is like, she's back, holding the phaser to head, and she's like, kind of backs away. She's like, Commander, it's me. She's like, I was sent to help. And Seven's like, I told Riker not to send anyone. And she says that. She's like, but I can help Commander. And Seven's like, Commander what? And LaForge is like, Commander Hansen. And then Seven shoots her. <laughs> because she um, normally call her, she called her Commander Seven last episode. Uh, the changeling falls, trying to morphs a little bit, it dies. And Shaw's like, how'd you know? Seven said that Ensign LaForge always called her Commander Seven out of respect. And then he's like, oh, good call. So he gets the second cell thing open. So they're they're good for business. LaForge, she's on a bridge. So the real LaForge said multiple obstructions are ahead. Jack looks at this one scanner thing, they make some more adjustment Jack's calling out like coordinates of like incoming, I don't know if it's are asteroids or something like that. Picard's making the necessary commands, you know, conjunction, you know, adjustments and stuff like that. Thrusters are up to 98%. There's nothing left to transfer. Riker says uh, you know, transfer all power from life support. The others, like, look at them because, you know, this is it. The warning goes off. They sit. It's dark. 10, 9, 8, blah, blah, blah. Boom. They get thrusted forward. Power kicks in. Life support's back on. LaForge says that they're in the wave, so they're kind of, like, riding it. It's charging them. Picard's like, gun it. And then, you know, stay inside. The warp drive is coming back. In 90 seconds, they'll be able to use it. They're told that the nebula is changing. And then they see that the Shrike is dead ahead. Vatic is happy. Uh... Riker asks if if their tractor beams are still operational. (laughs) So they lock onto the, so on the Titan, they lock onto an asteroid and then Riker's like, cut the beam. And then they basically whip the asteroid at the Shrike. And (laughs) Beverly's like, Will, did you just throw an asteroid? He's like, you're damn right I did. So the Shrike ship is totally messed up. It's close to Meltdown, all this stuff, or whatever, horrible stuff. It's basically an hour until the warp's online. Seven and Shaw come on the bridge. They see, like, they look out the scanners. There's, like, all these space babies from the nebula. So it was, like, pregnant. They're kind of like these weird space jellyfish or something like that. Or, like, uh, is that what? They are jellyfish. And Beverly's, like, to seek out new life. And Riker's, like, you know, we should boldly, you know, get the hell out of here. <laughs> so he's like, let's warp. Jack looks around, and we we hear Picard's words that you're only good as those around you. Your crew becomes a part of you. Um, people are, are smiling and hugging. Hugging. So Picard's like, you know, they complete you. They lift you up. So he's talking to the old cadets, and then he says that he's like, okay, my food is getting cold. And then we see. I, I, this I was like, wait, what's going on? Because Jack's at the bar even though this was supposed to be five years ago. Then um, he says you know, he says to Picard at the bar, he's like, oh, I heard your story. He asked if he ever had a life outside Starfleet. And, um, you know, so I'm like, wait, what's going on? Then he's like, you know, what about a real family? And Picard's like, young man, Starfleet has been the only family I ever needed. And then like the cadets there, like, applaud. And then he's Picard's like, huh, huh, huh. he kind of smiles at them, whatever. And then Jack's, like, kind of bummed. He's gone. He takes off. So he did hear the story. He heard uh, Picard tell it. He was basically gonna approach him, but when he said that he doesn't need a family, he doesn't need anything else, he's like, "All right, I'm out of here." Uh, Riker talks to Diana like a video call, and you know something like that. You know, you can't hide the pain by being alone. She says that you know blah blah blah. She's glad he's okay. Jet, um, everyone's okay. Then. She's uh, you know, Riker says, you know, something's different now and you know, he doesn't have the words yet. They just witness a kind of birth here and it reminded him that there's a whole universe out there. It can be beautiful, it can be amazing. So he wants to fix things with them. And he says that or she asks it if he and Picard are in trouble. He's like, I don't know yet. Because you know, they did do some bad things. <laughs> Picard does a star log entry, whatever, you know, there's too many questions. Who is this Vatic? What does she want with his son? So you know, I guess we still have to find that out the rest of the season. Jack's like washing up in the bathroom and then he has this like weird vision in the mirror. There's like these spidery tendrils or whatever on the wall behind him. It almost looks like kind of like symbiote carnum venom stuff, whatever. And there's like red skies. There's like this door opening, whatever. And he just kind of of, like, you know, hits his his head with his like palm of his hand, like just banging it. And then, uh, then the, the mirror is clear. There's nothing behind him. And then there's a whispered voice. like, find me. And that's where it ends so i have no idea what what that was all about but uh so that's the thing Vadic seems to be like after you know he's supposed to be the asset so what is it ab- about jack that they're willing to do this cuz actually you know how would they even know that he would be on on there cuz if they were there before they came on i guess that's that's the the weird thing because yeah how would they they know that they would go out there, I don't know. But like I said, it, it was it was it was a good episode. Okay, and now the movie feature is Scream Six. So I enjoyed it. Just uh, get, get right to that. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a seventy-seven percent or from the critics, ninety-four percent from from the audience. Here's the thing. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. So the last last Scream movie, Scream Scream or Scream Five, whichever you want to call it. I mean, it was good. You know, it, it was it was weird without Wes Craven or anything like that. But you know, they they did a good job, and you know, you had the you know some returning characters who were still alive, and you had new characters, you know, kids of characters, or whatever. You know, because so much time had passed, so they did a good job and everything. And that that came out January, I think it was the end of January 2022. And then when they were talking about Scream Six, I'm like, okay, of course you're gonna do another one. Then it's like, wait, it's coming out 2023. So we were talking like like just you know just a little more than a year apart. They're essentially just just a year. So I'm like, there was. I mean, I don't think it was twenty years between. But there's a you know a huge gap between four and five, and then a year gap between five and six. And I'm just like, is it really necessary to do another screen movie right away? Because you know if you do too many too often, then it just it becomes diluted. Then it's just like it's it's too much. So I was just like. I don't know. I mean, but then, you know, the whole thing when they introduce Sam, um, and I'm assuming you've seen Scream 6, or or I'm assuming you've seen Scream 5. So you know about Sam, her character, you know what her history is with the the original, with the franchise, and then her sister Tara, played by Jenna Ortega. So when when I heard that those characters were turning, I was like, okay, so that makes sense. Um, Spoiler for five, they survive, obviously, if they're in the trailer for this one. So, you know, it's continuing the story, but what makes this movie really cool is that it's in New York City. And I think that that really changes everything. So when when I heard that these characters were returning, and we see some other, other characters return as well. You know, some of the other characters were introduced in five. So that, I, I was like, okay, that makes sense because it's it's not that far off from where the last movie ended. And then the idea of being in New York, I think that that made, like, a huge difference for the movie because all the movies kind of take place in Woodsboro or whatever. So, you know, they all focus around that, which, you know, it makes sense because that's that's where it, it all comes down to. But it's just what's really cool because, like, I remember – I only watched the one trailer. I didn't want to watch anything more. And when I'm thinking about this, I'm just like, wow. Because when you're in a small town, I feel like it's it's harder to hide because, you know, there's not as many places to go whatever but when you're talking about like new york city it's like you can be anywhere so yeah realistically it's it's easier for you to go about but it, it's it seems like it could be easier for someone to just uh you know like hide out somewhere and sneak up behind you cuz you they could blend in so easily and then there's a fact, you know. Uh, you know, I am not a New Yorker by far, but I've been there several times. I've I've taken the subway, which I, I I don't I I did I think the I don't know if it was my first time or not my first time. Uh, my first Comic Con. I, I I had been to New York before that. Um, I would rather not take the subway just because I, I my fear is like taking the wrong one and going the wrong way and then trying to get back or whatever. And so like every time I'd go to Comic Con, I, I did a lot of walking. You know, you take a cab from the hotel to the convention center and then we would walk back or whatever. So, you know, being around the city streets, you're seeing the different parts of it. And it's, it's just, there's just a different vibe. You know, it's, it's definitely a different, it's a different city. You know, it's, it's different than, than Chicago. It's, it's hugely different from San Francisco. It's different than London. I'm trying to think what other cities I'm familiar with. So um, having been there and has seen the movie, you know, it, it's like I said, it just feels different. So it's like it, you, you kind of feel that that connection there. All of that, you know, if you're just like, oh, another screen movie or whatever, it, it's it's definitely different. Now the other thing also, if what what you know, a lot of people are saying this, and I agree, this movie is is a, a little more aggressive. You know, it, it's it's more violent, and that that also kind of helps because it, it kind of stops it from be just being more of the same not it's not like overly like gratuitous it's not like like over-the-top violence you know it but it's it's definitely you get a, it's a different vibe going on here and and that's that's a good thing because my thing is you know i i enjoyed all of the the, the screen movies it always seems kind of weird. It's like, how do we keep doing this? You know, it's like, okay, here's someone, they have a connection to this person, so they're out for revenge. And there's other person, oh, they're doing this. Oh, this person admired this person, so they're... So, you know, you have to, how can you do this? But I, I feel like that they, they with these, the last couple of movies, at least, you know, they they keep managing to come up with a good reason. And the other interesting thing here is... Even the the opening scenes always are the movies all kind of start out the same way, where it's like you know it's someone who's a random person is going to get killed or whatever, and uh, it starts off. I don't know if this is spoil. I mean, this might be a minor spoiler. It's it's not a spoiler to the movie at all. But if you've heard any announcements of the cast or whatever, the person at the beginning of the movie is. Close your ears for ten, five seconds if you don't want to hear it. Samara weaving. And I love Samara Weaving. I think she's awesome. But the thing is, she's not at home. She's like in a bar. She's like waiting for like a, a date, you know, a blind date or something like that. And then she, her phone rings and then it, it kind of goes from there. So it's it's kind of weird with that. Blah, blah, blah. She kind of gets lured outside because the guy's like, oh, I'm lost. You know, I don't know where to address it and stuff like that. This is the only thing—the the thing that really bothered me—and this, kind of, in the last movie too, because I—I I rewatched Scream Five uh, the week, you know, a couple days before watching this. I feel like sometimes some of the deaths, the killer gets lucky. They gets lucky that there's no one around. I mean, there, there's there's other things of luck that they don't get hit or killed like right away at the beginning, but. There's a scene where you know there's a a, a killing in an, in an alley, just not that far off from, from a main street, and, it's, and there's like screaming going on. And yeah, there's lots of noise in the city, but you would hear that. And, and maybe if you hear, I think if you heard a scream, someone would be like, "What's going on?" But the fact that they weren't that far off from the main street, against a wall, maybe slightly behind a dumpster or whatever, but it's just like because then the, the killer's like not even looking, not even worried, just like just going at it. It was maybe a little worse. In Scream Five, when I forget her name, the deputy, or, just, or maybe she's a sheriff, or whatever, she gets killed on her doorstep. And again, it's the luck, luck—luck that no one is across the street looking out their window behind curtains, or a car doesn't drive by, or the paperboy to come. And it's—it's. It's, but that's the suspension of disbelief, or so whatever. So, with this movie? Uh, you know, the the budget for this movie was $35 million. I, th- I think it's projected at like a $42 million for the box office. You know, I should I sh- look. I'm, I'm really curious how this movie is going to do up against 65, you know, the Adam Driver movie, which I really want to see that. I wish it didn't open up this weekend or next weekend or this coming weekend, last weekend or this weekend. But... <laughs> It, so I, I enjoyed the movie. What what is the story about? I really how long have I been talking about this movie. I haven't really gotten into the the plot or anything. Um, what what is there to say? You know, we got Sam and Tara. They're in New York, and Sam is being very protective of Tara. You know, after everything, Sam unfortunately is kind of being targeted. You know, she's uh, she's even though they're like the victims basically. So there's been like a bunch of people online saying that she's actually the one that did it, that she, she framed her boyfriend, Richie and, and whatever, all this stuff like that. And, you know, she's the crazy, she's the killer and all all this stuff. So Tara's like going to college and just, you know, just around to protect her sister type of thing. And, and then, you know, stuff starts happening. The killing starts happening. And what the, there's a killing in the beginning, or there's actually a couple of killings, and, and masks are being left behind with DNA from the past killers. So it's like, wait, how the heck is this happening? How, how would you even get a hold of that stuff? So this is, is what kind of puts the, the whole threat on, on the radar. And, you know, and because there are some other characters from the last movie, you know, they're around and they're you know, all being like a team and everything. And, and that's basically the movie. Is like trying to survive in a sense and you know figure out who is coming after them what did they do and um you know so we we get some new characters or some old characters now the whole thing is you know uh nev campbell's not in the movie and her thing was she felt that she should get paid more than than what was being offered i don't know what was being offered and i don't know how much like other people got or whatever like that but she basically felt that as a woman you know she needs to you know, she's putting her foot down which you know good for her because she's like her her value now the thing is you know nev campbell what else has she done besides scream and wild things and party of five i love party of five i love party of five that was such a great show so I, I'm, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of Neve Campbell. She hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff besides the screen movies, and you know, and whether that's her choice or not, I, I don't know if she's chosen not to or whatever. But you know, she is a big part of the movies. So you know, she's saying that you know she's looking at her worth to the franchise that she should get a bigger paycheck, and that that makes sense because you know she's been crucial to all the movies, and you know she also says like you know if she was a dude. The, you know there'd be like no question of this you know a dude leading the, or carrying the franchise whatever you know of course they're going to bend over backwards because that's how hollywood works you know that's just how it goes so she just bowed out she decided not to and you know it her, there is mention of her in a movie you know so it's not like they're they're writing her out they're ruling her you know whatever so there there's still room for her to you know come back in another one and, you know, it, it, it's been mentioned that, you know, they're very protective with how they treat the character in her. So even though things didn't work out, you know, it, they're, everyone's doing what, what they have to do. That being said, the movie was fine without her. You know, no offense to her, but, you know, they, they worked it. Apparently they had to make some, like, changes to the script and rewrite things. But by doing that, that allowed them to focus more on, on the characters and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe, you know, there's some good things about that. And... That my my thing is if if Nev Campbell you know how how often is she going to survive uh, you know at some because we've already seen some some legacy characters get taken off the board and would they ever do would they ever kill off Sydney I mean it seems like you can't but you know how long can she survive in, in that because you know. Uh, is Gail gonna survive is i'm trying to think who else is there? you know it's it's, it's getting kind of kind of risky and everything so maybe it's a good thing if she's not in the movie that way she's not at, at risk but like i said the movie works so i i really enjoyed it and i i don't want to go into the um further as far as like the killer the reveal uh, you know it makes sense it it's a little cheesy but it, they're always kind of cheesy you know it's always you're you're talking about you know deranged people who are are killing you know all these movies these people are 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 obsessed or just there's there there's something off about them to do this so yeah it's supposed to be cheesy not necessarily mustache twirling but you know you get get what i'm saying so i thought overall they did a good job with the movie i I enjoyed it um way but i i'm i i i'm so glad i saw it yeah i'm so glad they made it i was hesitant but it, it was good so I'm gonna leave with that. It's, it's it's good. If you if you if you're a fan of the movies, you're a fan of the franchise, they did did a good job with it. So go see Scream Six. And with that, that is going to be another episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken, because they are big supporters. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash man from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome if you commit At the rick jones tier or higher you get access to the secret podcast from heck which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week i sometimes talk about comics i sometimes talk about movies i sometimes talk about random off my mind topics like i did last week where i talked about ben Riley to scarlet spider and basically the garbage treatment that marvel has been giving him since his death in the clone saga and resurrection and death and resurrection and turning to evil and all that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. What is happening next week? The movie feature will be Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So I, I'm looking forward to that. As far as TV, so we have some shows ending. There's, um, It's going to be, a, the, the. I'm pretty sure it's the last episode of Last of Us. I don't think it, oh, now I don't remember if it's the last episode of, of Servant. There might be two more Servants. And um, I don't know if I'm going to still do The Flash. You know, I talk about that that school spirit, but I don't know. Um, oh, and it's just, uh, uh, Superman Lois starts this week. So that's where things are getting be too much. So I don't know. I don't know if I can do The Flash. I don't know. We'll see. Um Again, I, I just wish we get like some instantaneous feedback. Like, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? You know, what 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 do you want to hear on on this show? I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. But I hope you are doing well. I hope you're hanging in there. I'm getting stressed just thinking about the next episode already. <laughs> it's like the week hasn't even started yet. Um, I hope you're doing well. I, I find time to take to do something fun. I never have time because I'm just watching and reading all the time. But take care of yourself. Most importantly, remember, be good to each other.